Oh, you sound uh, echoey. Really? Uh-oh. Maybe I'm not on the right thing. Do I still... I bet you... Uh, I've updated a bunch of things. Oh, yeah. I know why I sound echoey. Switch your audio. I'm, I sound better now? You sound like you're in a microphone now and I'm not talking like, to a screen. <laughs> yep. I was uh, I was talking to the wrong audio. Um I updated my uh, my things. I updated my Oh, there's so many things, Ben, and they all need to be updated. And I I had the I had a delightful conversation with a prospective graduate student yesterday after about ten minutes of farting around with Skype. It is um, insane. Yeah. The updates. All the updates. I do, what do you have? Go to your iPhone right now. Tell yeah. me what your uh, what, what the little circle in your app store says. For I don't know. There's a little red oh. circle that tells you how many things that you need to update on your phone. Oh, app. app it's store. like whatever um, the A thing is. Um, like I zero I, zero. See, you must be doing them on the on the oh, go. I, yeah, they just they just come down. They just 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 they just rain down. <laughs> I don't know why I do this. So my my iPads. That's what I do. But on my phone, for some reason, I have it set up not to do that. Like, and I'm I because oh, you got to be got to be careful. Well, I you think that's be it. Right? Putting anything on your phone. I can't be putting anything on my phone. I can't be just updating willy nilly. No, no willy nilly updating. No willy nilly. And I, uh, so I'm that one. I like do in batches. And I, I like, I think three times in the last two weeks, I've had like a hundred and one in that little red circle of death. And yeah. thinking, oh well, I should update it. And then I have to put my phone down for like forty five minutes. Oh, while yeah. Twitter, yeah. you know, grabs it. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, better. It's better just to. Well, you know, here's the thing. Um, you should either delete apps <laughs> or just have them all, have them all uh, always update. I have started following, um, the Merlin man, uh, um, I, I don't know, uh, approach of don't file apps or file them all into big buckets, but I never go into those buckets. All I do is search for the app that I want. Oh Yeah. Always. Yeah. It's, that's the just only search. way. Yeah, I didn't do that. At one point, I was like, "Oh no, no, um, tiny, tiny scanner is actually on the fourth screen, and it's uh, where my thumb is if it's up at the top of the screen." Like I would remember that. Now yeah. I have no, I have no idea. Yeah, I basically, I basically look at, look at. Uh, well, yeah, my my Gibbs. Yeah, that very good. Well, yeah, yes, um, my I look at. The, I know where everything is on the first screen. Then that's the stuff I use all the time, and then everything else I just search for. Yeah, and, and I have like uh, I have all the screens that goes all the way. I have stuff. I have so many apps that they don't even fit on all the screens. So I should really, I should really go delete some apps. You they know? don't fit on all the screens. So they no, just make another like screen. there's like there's, the there's yeah there's like you like you if you swipe all the way over um to the far far end of all my apps, there's yeah. still more apps that don't show. There can't be. No, it's go? true. It's uh, they're just <laughs> they're on the phone. They're just not visible. You, have you to search for them. What? That's yeah. insane. I didn't even know. I so I I don't know how many I have. There's a lot. I've got. Let's see how many screens I have here. Um, I've got the. We'll start from the um, first one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I've got ten. I only have two apps in that tenth one. Eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, and it's full all the way to the bottom. And then fifteen. So and then, and then who knows how many other apps are not? Are, I mean, we could do the math because it's a, uh, it's four by five, so that's twenty. Um, and then I can look. I could look on the uh, on the app store. I, well, how, I wonder if you can tell. This is this is great radio, Ben. People this is love this. Is like this I don't is, care. I don't care. Even better. Even better that. than two guys looking at the internet. Two guys looking at their phones. Their phone. Yeah. Um, if it's in the show, it's in the show, Don. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I, while we're doing this, I'm opening a diet coke. Just so you know. There we go. There we go. 
our I have I have diet. This is not for our sponsors. Diet Coke does not sponsor us. <laughs> but I also have Kit Kats that oh, I uh, that I grabbed. I yep. like Kit Kats. Me too. I got I have three little little ones, like the little uh, Halloween size. Hmm. Um, so these are Halloween. These, yeah, Happy Halloween to you. <laughs> Um, there, I don't know. There's probably a way. Um, people are shouting this right now at us. Um, oh, there's probably a way to know how many apps are on your phone, but um, I don't. I don't. And I, I, I mean, I could Google it, but you know, this is this is this is really not good radio. We should really do a show. How many apps? No, I don't care now. Are on my phone. On my phone. Um, uh, is there a way? It says you can do it. Um, how do you do it? Walk me through it. Uh, to Cora, use App Tweet. <laughs> Get it, download another no, app. No, no, not going to do that. <laughs> not, I'm not downloading an app. <laughs> That's pretty meta. How many apps are on my phone? Oh, I don't know. Oh, Check you know what? App. I I bet I bet uh, iTunes oh. would tell me. Um, oh, uh, let's see. Let's go find to all the apps I've ever downloaded. On here. Um, apps. Let's see. I think you're still going to have to count them. No, no, I bet there's a way. I have to, I'm going to close the door. My dogs are making a lot of noise. All right, all right. I'm going to eat some uh, Kit Kat. This is, a, this is an awesome way to start things. Yeah, people really love, uh, really love podcasts like this. Um, you know what? They don't like it. They can make their own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You, we're, we're fired up. This is like a, I don't know. I'm, I'm fully into my day at one o'clock here. I've had... And sometimes we do early morning ones and we're, we're a little bit groggy. And mm-hmm. then, so we did one like that started at eight a while ago. And there was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by the time we got an hour into it, I think we'd had our second coffees and we were hitting our yeah. mind, right. Yep. Um, and then there are lots of times where we start at like 10 and it's just, my day is just starting. Mm-hmm. But at one o'clock I am, I'm full on. This is me. This is, this is baseball. This is baseball cat bag. <laughs> do you know how many people have mentioned Don? <laughs> <laughs> I have had multiple listeners in the last couple of weeks mention my baseball cap. Whoa. I know. Some people that I didn't even know. Yeah. They're like, how come you're not wearing a baseball cap? Uh, so baseball cap Ben's here today. All right. Um, so we have a lot. We got a lot, of talk, a lot to talk about. Uh, there's stuff that I want to share with you. I know we have feedback and stuff. Um, but to, I got I to gotta talk about hockey first because this is a hockey podcast uh, nominally. Um, and... We uh, are my my team. Oh, we haven't we haven't talked we haven't talked about Jack his age for a while, but Jack oh. is frantically furious forwarding yeah. through this part of the podcast. He's, he's like, when do you guys talk about food safety? Later, later, Jack. <laughs> um, so uh, so I'm there's exciting exciting things happening in the world of hockey here in Raleigh. Um, my uh, our our local team, the uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, made the NHL playoffs, and it's the first time in a decade. The last time they made the playoffs, I took Jack, my only son at that time, to a game, and he was like eight months old, and he fell asleep in the baby Bjorn um, in the middle of the uh, middle of the game. Because I mean, what is a baby doesn't need to go to a hockey game, but I needed to take him to the hockey game so I could go. Uh, and uh, yeah, so next uh, next Thursday night, um, no no opsec given away here, but I will be at the at, at this uh, hockey game. So, uh, it, but. All right, let me. Um, we're going to link to something because I had a little bit of non-food safety fame mm. that happened. Um, 
I will, uh, where am I going to see this? There's a tweet somewhere. I'll send you something for the notes in a second. Mm-hmm. But I, um, the section that I, that I sit in, uh, for my, Oh, oh I remember for, your non food safety fame. You were on the, you were on the television. I was on the television. I was on the Twitter. I was on the television. I was on NBC sports, uh, for, for a, a split second because I, uh, um, the section that I'm in is like the rabid fan section of uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, section 328. Our uh, section 328 actually has its own podcast. <laughs> Not to be confused with section 420, which is much more mellow. It's way more mellow. The section 420 guys, they don't even show up until the second period. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, they're, uh, and they're like, wait they're a like, minute, this where's is hot sessions. Yeah, where's exactly. The, where's the, like, I feel like, where's the food, boys? Um, <laughs> So, uh, three twenty-eight. I don't. I mean, I don't know the history. I just know that from going to games over the last ten years, um, they were the loudest. They had all these chants. They they genuinely have a really good time up there. Um, there's a the podcast that they run is called Cheaters Never Win, and that's because whenever a um, opposing team player gets a penalty. Um, they, the, the, uh, PNC arena, you know, the in, in game entertainment people, they play the dung dung from law and order. Oh Are yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I, I, I do not watch law and order, but I am familiar with the dung dung. Yeah. So they, they play the dung dung and the show title, uh, <laughs> and, um, and then everyone in the section stands up and yells cheaters never win. Um, and, and I don't know where it came from. It's just like uh, this cool thing. So, so before I started going to a lot of games and I would take my kids to a, a few a year, um, I would always notice that 328 is like, they're crazy. It seems like the place you want to be. So then I, I got some, um, a, a share of season tickets, a, a small package with my, uh, with a friend, uh, friend, not, not listener friend, like actual friend in life, Andy Bender, who's a, um, another professor here at NC state. Um, and last year we didn't sit in 328. And this year I was like, you know what, if we're going to get tickets again, let's go sit in 328. So we did. And the beauty of sitting in 328 is that, um, all the rabid fans have connections in the world of media. Hmm. And, uh, one of, um, uh, uh, there's a, a woman on the internet. Her name is, uh, Jillian Fisher who makes, um, funny her, this is from her Twitter profile. I drink and make funny videos about sports. Uh, she's also on Instagram. Uh, section three twenty eight invited her to the game and she came and sat two rows in front of me and took a video at the moment when the, the game was ending. Um, and we knew that learned that we were going to the playoffs and, uh, everyone's like hugging and crying. And then there's a, a, a split second, uh, picture of me clapping. And it's been referred to by some of my friends as clapping like the queen, not clapping. Like I'm at a, at a, at a sports ball game. Huh. Um, so, so, anyway, so, is, I, so is that like, is that more like a Nancy Pelosi clap? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of a, a Nancy, bit of a Nancy cl- clap. Um, uh, state of the union. I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing it right now. Uh, so anyway, I will, we, I think we have figured out a way to link to Twitter things. Um, I will mm-hmm. send folks this, but it was, I, I get swept up in this. You know, I like stories, Don, you know, I'm mm-hmm. a storyteller. Mm-hmm. I love the story of, 
um, of a good, like a winning something, uh, not sure if you're going to win. It's tense. You played good. You've not played good. The outcome worked out in the end. I, I constantly follow teams that are, um, that are terrible. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs have not won a Stanley cup since 1967. Um, Carolina, uh, the hurricanes have won a Stanley cup. It was in 2006. I didn't live here. I wasn't a fan. Can't claim it. Don't know anything about it. I, I, I have, uh, uh, claimed NC state, uh, as my, uh, you know, team college football and basketball team because they're, they do a really good job at paying my paycheck. Um, and I will support that. Um, but they're, they're again, uh, not a, not a championship team. So I usually, we, I'm not usually in these things and here I was, uh, it was very, very cool to be there on a night that, that we clinched the playoff, something that hadn't been done in a decade. And then it was, uh, 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 uh collected and curated on the internet by, um, by J- Jillian Fisher. So it was cool. It was very, I, I was emotional. I wasn't teared up The many of my friends had mentioned that they, they, they were around for 2006 and had seen this, this team be really good and then, and then not so good. And so that I think there was a little more emotion. I was just happy to be part of this. Mm-hmm. So it was really cool. Nice. Yeah. So anyway, that's that. I, I like sharing these things with you. I feel like um, this is um, I don't have anybody else to tell these things to. This is you're, you're a bit of my you're kind of like my therapist. I'm I'm pretty sure that you could tell your sports things to other people and they would listen. No, no, they won't. Either the people, the other people that I know are into sports things. Oh, they, OK. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is I, I you, you're you're coming at this fresh. It's like when you tell oh, yeah. me about boy, yeah, yeah. boy scouting. I don't know anything about <laughs> like that. I, I know that you. There was a time when you hiked down to the bottom of the uh, uh, Grand Canyon. That's not true, but okay. <laughs> but you were going to. I thought you were gonna go. You hiked somewhere. You were hiking. Well, uh, in a, uh, Philmont. Philmont. We hiked to Philmont. Um, I wear my Philmont belt buckle. Um, it's how Betsy Ben and I first bonded because um, B- Betsy was a ranger at Philmont. So uh, yeah, is, is Philmont not in the Grand Canyon? No. This is my- <laughs> no. It's in New Mexico. Oh well, that's. Closest, and it, oh, uh, and it burned this past summer. It was, it was. Uh, they they closed they closed the they closed the ranch. I mean, nobody could go and and backpack because uh, the fires were so bad. So, but it, it really is a it really is a highlight of uh, scouting um, for a lot of uh, for a lot of scouts. Yeah, ongoing fire risk forces Philmont to close backcountry for the remainder of summer. Yep. Um, anyway, no, I, I appreciate you letting me uh, uh, talk talk about these things. Oh, yeah. um, uh, here. So, and, and our listeners appreciate that. I talk about it as well. Um, I think, <laughs> they, they, uh, well, you know, <laughs> it makes us, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't like, if you don't like it, yeah, email, email on another part. <laughs> yeah. Make your own email podcast. Dan. Email Dan. Yeah. yeah. Don't at me. <laughs> email Dan. Oh, that's good. Um, so yeah, so so I've been I've been doing that. Uh, I've also tried to. I'm desperately trying to watch all of Game of Thrones. Hmm. Um. I, yep. So so, but I'm not I'm not quite there yet. So uh, no spoilers. I, I, no spoilers. People die. It's gory. Hmm. Uh, and uh, the red wedding. Um, I think I mentioned that last episode. Uh, but that's it. I mean, that's pretty much it. we're we're in uh, full in hockey season um, and uh, uh, playoff season. Um, and uh, and I scored two goals in my game last night. I was a uh, came home uh, to tell my lovely wife Danielle that I uh, sniped two goals because that's kind of it's like a hockey terminology. And she goes, "Oh, that's great. Can you turn off the light?" And, <laughs> and that was the she was she was really pretty impressed by it. Um, so what's going on with you? How are things? 
Oh, you know, I'm getting ready to go to France. <clears throat> So that's kind of exciting. Uh, I'm working on a grant proposal uh, with uh, the famous Michelle Daniluk. Um, like, we like her, and uh, it is it is a uh, crap show um, because we uh, we we knew for a long time the proposal would be due at the end of the month, uh, April 29th. Uh, but we what we did not have was the actual RFA, the actual thing that says what you have to do to write the grant. Oh, um, we got that yesterday. So no, um, yeah, yeah. What no, is this? yeah. What is this RFA? Can you can can you share uh, anything about it? Is it a, is it secret? Uh, uh, yeah, super secret. Um, uh, it's the specialty crops uh, research grant. So it's the the USDA specialty crops. Um, yeah. Uh, so they come. So they're due like at the end of the month or yep. end when and and but we won't tell you what you like what's we won't, eligible. We won't, we're yeah. Well, you had to you had to submit. I think you had to submit a pre proposal. So we did gotcha. submit a pre proposal. So they they knew that we were we were wanting um, to submit a proposal and um, and we were we were we were told we were given the green light the thumbs up that our pre proposal was good enough uh, so that we should submit a full proposal. But it's been a mess and they changed the um, the they changed. The the overhead rules, the indirect cost rules, and so that's uh, anyway. That that for those of, who, of you who work in universities, you know exactly what complexities that can be. And oh, um, for those that don't work in universities, when you when you write a grant, um, you set aside a certain amount of money in the grant that actually just goes to run your university. Uh, nominally, uh, it's because, um, you know, they give you an office to do your work on the grant. And so you have to basically pay money to turn the lights on. Um, there are people that handle paperwork for you. And so you have to pay their salaries, right? And all of that. So that that's what what's called overhead. Uh, people that don't work at universities understand the concept of overhead, I think. Um, and the idea is that you have to pay that. And for years, for reasons that are not completely clear, you have SDA um, uh, uh, universities uh, who who competed for land grant universities that competed for USDA funding um, were because of some uh, relationship between land grant and USDA um, were always allowed to charge this lower indirect cost. So what that means is that you like let's say you have a hundred thousand um, dollars instead of giving fifty uh, percent of that or or fifty percent of a fraction of that to the university you only had to give twenty five percent. Those aren't the exact numbers, but those are but those are approximate. And they recently changed the rules. Um, so anyway, so but we didn't, and it's not completely clear some some how they're going to calculate the indirect costs uh, based on. <clears throat> what is maximizing or minimizing something, but it's done across all of the subcontracts. And so basically the bottom line is I've had to submit two different budgets, um, and both of which um, are much less money than I would have got under the old system, where, where we had this negotiated uh, lower indirect cost rate. So anyway, the whole, the whole thing is just taking up an inordinate Ugh. amount of time. But uh, the good news is I'm, I'm mostly done with all of my paperwork, um, and uh, I'm going to get everything done by the time I leave to go to France and then I'm going to be on a boat. <laughs> You're going to be on a boat in I'm, France? I'm going There's to be like on a boat in France uh-huh. and I'm going to be cruising down the the um, the Rhone uh, River uh, and uh, drinking wine and seeing a beautiful French countryside and I'm going to enjoy it very much. Um, and you are... so. Um, you're going to do a little bit of uh, correspondent work for us <laughs> there. Are you, you're aware of this, right? Like, you know, you, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, um, when a conversation on Twitter about, um, mm, risks mm. associated with, uh, cruise Norovirus, ships. Norovirus, yes. Yeah, Noro. And so, so the, the, the thought was, 
is there, um, and I think was it Squirrel Chomp that asked this question? Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, a, a question about like different cruises, um, gr- cruise ships and sizes, and if there's less risk for a river cruise. And the, your your thought was, yeah, there probably is just because there's less people around. I agree with that. Um, but I want you to do a little. Uh, I want you to report back. I want you to. I've never been on a cruise. Mm. Um, uh, well, and- I have not either. So this will be a first for me. So I want you to just keep your eyes open for norovirus control. I will. I will. I will. I will pay attention for nor. I will pay attention for norovirus. Um, hey, I th- um, I was in speaking of norovirus control, and we've alluded to this a little bit. We've talked about um, a product that um, Gojo makes, uh, uh, Purell VF four eighty one. Right, that's that's a Gojo product. Yeah. yeah. Um, that uh, it's it like there's and, and and just to be totally clear, VF definitely does not stand for virus formulation because that would be illegal to make that claim. Right, it's just VF four eighty one. VF four eighty one is uh, something that you can buy. We found some on Amazon a while ago. I wonder if it's. I'm, I'm sure it's still there. It was super expensive. Um, and it's just not a virus formulation, or it's sorry, it's a something that is. Um, uh, effective against norovirus, but it's not something you put on a hand sanitizer claim here in the U.S. Um, so this, why I'm thinking of this was I happened to be in a fast food restaurant mm. in a restroom, and in their restroom they had hand sanitizer, and the hand sanitizer um, was being changed by an employee while I was in there. Mm. And Don, guess what they were putting in there? Was it VF481? Hell's yeah, they were. All right, good job. So they're, good so, job, uh, food service company. Well, and I'll—I mean, I'll, I'll call out the—I'll uh, I'll tell you who the food service company was. It's not an endorsement or recommendation um, of their of their products, or they're not a sponsor. And they have been um, in the news recently for problematic reasons. Um, yeah, so it was at uh, it was at a Chick Fil A. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there I was washing my washing my hands in the restroom and and uh, guys uh, changing it over and I was like oh I'm interested to see what this is and lo and behold it says right on the package uh, VF forty one so that's that's cool yeah so so Hal King who I. Don't know if I've ever met, but I know by reputation, uh, was a big, uh, you know, big, big wig, big food safety guy at Chick-fil-A and now has gone on to bigger and better things. But, but uh, you know, Hal's a real, real, real up, up on, on hand washing and cross-contamination and all that um, for Chick-fil-A. So, yeah, so, so good, good for them. I, we won't necessarily attribute VF481 uh, to, to him, but, but he certainly created a corporate culture there that was focused on food safety. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Real time follow up. Uh, You can buy um, some VF 481 1200 milliliter sanitizer refills for a push style dispenser, which is, I think, what I was looking at. Um, Case of four. So we're looking at um, 4.8 liters of this. Oh, look at that, Jim. Jim Arbogast. Oh, my God. There he is. Look at this. Yeah. Amazon's putting videos and stuff in things now. Uh, $135. (laughs) Yeah, well, and that's a case of four, and this is just the refill. It does not include the dispenser. So, yeah, so this is not a product that is easy to get for for um, commercial use. So, uh, for for rather for home use, it's not something you can buy on the the, the shelves. So you have to anyway. It's so yeah. So that's that's uh, that's what that is. <laughs> It's only got. Uh, it doesn't have great ratings. I wonder why. What is it, what is Amazon ratings? Uh, anybody could put comments on this. Um, one review, 
old stock. My last order had a product expiration date two years from the date I received it. This order is only good for eight months. It will be outdated long before I use it all. Huh. Huh. Yep. What do you think about that? Uh, well, what, buyer what beware. Buyer beware. But, but let's, let, I mean, let's talk about the science of this. Is there, um, is it going to matter over time for this, uh, this VF481? Isn't it going to work less um, in two years past the best before date? Well, here's the thing. Um, uh, we need to know more about the formulation. I know there are some things that they put in the formulation to make it more effective against norovirus, um, or at least th- there is published research out there that talks about this. Um, and uh, the question is, how stable is the formulation? And how stable are those ingredients that, that are what give it its uh, additional benefit against norovirus? And I'm not enough of a, a, yeah. a sanitizer chemist to know the answer to that. So... Let's um, add, let's put let's put the call out to the sanitizer <laughs> chemists. Let's call out. Put the bat bat signal out. People listen to us. Yeah. So so Jim to. Jim Marbergas, Dave Basinga, if you guys are listening, um, let us know. Uh, what about uh, hand sanitizer expiration dates? Are they real? Right. Are they are they real? And and if not, um, you should you should check your uh, comments and ratings on uh, on Amazon. Um, and just well this. Yeah, but well, yeah, but again, remember this is not this is not um, probably Gojo selling this. this no, is no, a reseller, yeah. right? So, but it's that anyway. That was a, yeah. I never. Uh, I would not have thought that there would be um, a date concern on them. But well, maybe, but well, maybe and, there is. well, and for traditional alcohol-based hand sanitizer, there pro- I would guess there's not. Um, or maybe it's a quality concern, right? Maybe it's uh, you know, the fragrance breaks down. If there's, yeah, oh, it says fragrance-free, but maybe I, I don't know. We, we should people that know something should uh, maybe they should tell us. Yeah. Okay. Um, what uh, what else you got going on? What else? Uh, I, I have food safety stuff I want to talk about, but I've, I want to tell you about the things I I did. Before we get into feedback, but is um, there? I'm going to give you a chance. Well, to we talk. we finish season three of the tunnel, um, which was um, anyway. No spoilers, but it was uh, it was anyway. It, it's done. <laughs> they don't no, no more of the tunnel. The tunnel. <laughs> this is over. the end of the tunnel. It's the end of the tunnel. Um, we started watching a new was, thing. That was I, there light at the end of the of the tunnel? <laughs> um, yeah, no, there wasn't light. Um, yeah, no, pretty dark. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty pretty dark um yeah and we started watching a new thing whose name i can't remember um and it's a british thing with dead people <laughs> well, of course it is and it's and it's raining and they're outside on a hill and oh and it's, it's uh yeah it's, it's set, it's set, it's, it's set in uh <laughs> it's set in manchester uh but then there's there's the they, the the one of the protagonists lives in scotland um uh, and I can't remember the name of it. Um, but anyway, yeah, so, uh, so that's, and that's pretty good. That's cool. Um, uh, we were watching American Idol. Oh, yeah. how's yeah. that? You're not watching Survivor? Apparently everybody's no. watching Survivor. Everybody's, no, we're going to get to Survivor. No, but kids, kids really like American Idol. They love it. Uh, so we're watching that. Uh, and, uh, maybe Shark Tank. Uh, that's where we're going next. Hmm. Um, all right. So I, I, so I want to, um, I just want to share uh, like one one quick thing. Today I gave a guest lecture, hmm. um, and tonight I'm giving another guest lecture, um, and they are both kind of connected. But this morning was a guest lecture for an undergraduate class in agroecology, which is the ecology of ag, ag- agro systems. No, it's like uh, 
um, uh, sustainability and diversity. Um, it's kind of a cool course. It's a, it's a, I think a foundation of a major in, I think it's like cross soil science and, um, horticulture and crop science. Um, anyway, the, the guest lecture was to a very cool class who asked a bunch of questions about, about food safety and their questions were like super pertinent, good questions. Um, we talked a bunch about good agricultural practices, but really, as most things go with me, I just ended up ranting on different things and telling telling stories about um, about outbreaks. But um, the the like you know we talked about um, focusing in vegetable production, looking at things like water and. Um, um, harvester hygiene and cleaning and sanitizing of packing lines and um, wildlife and soil amendments. Um, and you know, th those being are, are sort of big areas for risk. Um, someone asked, and I think there was like, they have a project that I'm not fully uh, versed on, but someone asked, okay, if we're designing like a case use case for, um, a business who's going to do fresh produce. What are the like three things that every fresh produce farm should have? Like what, what should they be focused on? What are, what would be like, uh, would make you feel comfortable in purchasing food from them? Um, and so I'll, I'll tell you how I answer the question, but I'm going to ask you, what would you say? Like, so what, how would you answer that question? Um, I would answer that question by saying I found the name of the show <laughs> that I was watching, <laughs> and it's called From Darkness, and we will link oh. to it. Um, oh, and the other thing that I wanted to say, in the minute you'll remind me again of what your question is, the other thing I wanted yeah. to say, the whole reason for going off on the, the Daniluk uh, grant thing is one of the, we're looking for ways to differentiate and be innovative. And so one of the things that we're going to do as a way of communicating with stakeholders about uh, um, about the grant is I'm going to do a short podcast with the other investigators, uh, like weekly conver or you know, not weekly, but regular conversations hey. about what's going on with the grant. We're going to put that up as a podcast. And I don't know if you know this, Ben, but I am a seasoned podcast professional. I have I have co-produced uh, over 170 podcasts uh, with with you uh, right this here, a, yeah, right here at Food Safety wheelhouse. Talk. <laughs> so, yeah, this is right so, in your wheelhouse. This is good. So anyway, tell me and, and part right. of part of why I'm so good at podcasting is I'm a good listener. So can you? remind me again of what your question was. I can, I can, I can. So, so the, the class was about like production, yeah. uh, agriculture. And, um, this, the student asked me if, if you had like, you're really practical, you're starting a new business around food, uh, around food production. Uh, you know, let's say it's vegetable production or berries or something, fresh produce. What are, where do you start? What are the, what are the three most important things that you would look for in someone who's starting that business to give you confidence that they know how to handle food safety. Wow. And like um, not, three is just, you know, basically I'm, I'm paraphrasing the question, but it was like, what are the things like, what, what are the areas that are, that are really important for us? You know, that, it's a great question, right? That's a great question. And this is, this is, you know, this is one of the things that we're struggling with in, in the grant. So let me, let me give you the four, the four focus areas of the grant. Okay. And, and that will be my answer. Um, and that is biological soil amendments. Okay. In other words, you know, putting poop, uh, in the ground, um, as a fertilizer, agricultural water, 
pre-harvest uh, practices and, you know, so animal intrusion into the field and stuff like that, and then post-harvest practices, so what's going on in your packing house, packing house sanitation. And so those are kind of the four big buckets on the grant proposal we're working on. And I think that that probably we could reach agreement on that those are the things. But, but the details, the problem with produce safety, Ben, is that it's complicated and we don't cook produce and there's just so much we don't know. We, we don't always know where the problems come from. Um, and we don't really know what to do about it. So yeah, I've been doing a lot of a lot of food safety stuff around fresh produce recently, and I'm I'm I hate to be negative, but we're we're still have such a long way to go. And thankfully, most of the time, um, people don't get sick, um, and that's and that's a good thing because we all should eat more fresh produce because it's good for us. Right. Well, and so you kind of nailed a bunch of the stuff that I talked about in this in this lecture today. Um, I've been using. This uh, I've used it here on the podcast, and I'm using a lot when I talk to media about you know we have um, millions of uh, servings of food that do make us sick every year, but we eat billions of servings of food every year, mm-hmm. or or you know vice versa. So it's not a a direct line all the all the time. Um, yeah, I mean I think you you hit on the areas that that I would be um, concerned about. And, um, in, in relation to the student's question and the stuff that, that I talked on. And I, I did go down the, the route that, that you did as well, which is the devil's in the details on this, right? Like if I'm growing cilantro versus squash versus bananas, um, in general, those are all the things that I want to focus on. But for each of those individual crops, it's going to be a little bit different. Like I'm, I'm not as worried about external contamination of a banana as I am on attachment and, and water um, related to cilantro. And and so you kind of have to um, look at it as a tell me tell me more information, and then learn learn about where how the bugs might move, not the insects, but the, um, but the bugs that you count on, on Twitter. Um, and tell me about the, how the bacteria might move and where they might grow and where they might be, be harbored. Um, and let's look at it all. Let's look at it all, all of it, but I'm with you. I'm, I'm also cynical about this and, um, uh, uh, quite a bit. And in fact, this will go into, um, something that I tweeted about, uh, another, another place where I like to get, um, all my content for, um, the podcast. I, I saw something from the leafy greens marketing, um, agreement folks, um, uh, about a week ago and I wish I could find it. Um, that, uh, that said, um, let's see. Um, Basically said, uh, leafy the in the Packer, and we'll link to this article. Uh, California leafy green marketing agreement to require treatment of water for leafy greens, right? So, th- this is a great thing to say. We're gonna we're gonna uh, we're gonna require this. Um, people are gonna have to treat it. Let's and I'll read from the article here. Scott Horsfall, the group CEO, said the new water treatment rules could be implemented as early as late April or as late as mid May. Um, uh, the it, they will soon be sanitizing open source water used on their crops. Um, doesn't really give any details. Uh, it says Horsefall said the testing and treating of water used for o- overhead irrigation is of particular interest. The consensus right now is that overhead irrigation as practice needs to be particularly controlled, treated before use. These are all good generalities, right? Like yep. there's nothing. No one's going to argue with this. Um, what I tweeted at at LGMA was, "Do you have any details? 
How are they going to treat it? What concentration? What kind of equipment? What is it? A hundred percent of the water? Are we treating? Um, like, what are the um, what what are the sanitizers? The or the water sanitation stuff that, that we're using? Um, and and my response, the response that I got from LGMA was, oh, hey, um, you know, uh, this statement on our blog might provide you with better understanding. <laughs> like, oh, all right, let me go to the blog. So I'll share this in in, uh, uh, in show notes. Um, and it says, uh, uh, for the past three months, Leafy Greens Industries in California have been developing new water guidelines. An industry group facilitated by Western Growers has taken um, the lead of this effort. There's broad agreement that using untreated surface waters for overhead irrigation is an elevated risk. Um, the LGMA will make an announcement with specifics about the new metrics soon. There you go. That's, that's but but. But so this is like, a, hey, we're going to treat it. We don't know how. We're not sure exactly what it is. And, and I guess this goes back to this, that student's question, right? So if I answer the question in the generality of what would I expect a farmer to do, I expect them to control water. The devil is in the details and how. Yep. And yep. what is what does that mean? How what what's all of the what are the decisions I'm going to make? Am I going to treat all my water? I all the all the same stuff that I'm asking LGMA. I don't really have a good answer for it. Um, and and I, I think we could get to a situation where I treat all this water and make it so it's potable and there's an expense to that, right? My romaine lettuce or whatever leafy green that I'm buying from LGMA goes up not just like a nickel ahead, but like a quarter or 40 cents ahead or whatever it is, like a real cost for for addressing these, um, these water concerns. Um, and I, I guess I'm just like, cynical and disappointed in, hey, let's put out some information that says we're going to treat this because we know that people really care about water. And this is our response to um, the uh, the report um, from a month ago that, that showed that water was an issue when it came to these romaine outbreaks. But we're not going to give you any details about what, what it is we're actually doing. Because I don't, I mean, truthfully, I don't think they know. I, I don't think they know either. And it's coming, it's coming in April or May, and they don't know, right? Uh, the, one, the one bit of actual numerical data they do provide, which is quite interesting, is that um, the, uh, uh, certified LGMA members produce 99% of the leafy greens in California. <laughs> so, yeah. well, there you go. So, obviously, they, they have some numbers about some things. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, well, and I, you know, I again, and I'm not enough of a produce expert. We should have Michelle on to talk about this at some point. But um, like, how easy is it to like? What about so we we all we all agree overhead irrigation is a risk, right? Drip irrigation is less of a risk because with overhead you're basically spraying water onto the crops. With drip irrigation, you're basically dripping water. Uh, you know, close to the, the the soil, the top of the soil, it's not going on the crops. It's just it's just you know, it just goes into the soil, which then goes through the roots into the plant. It's less risky than just spraying it down, and it's probably more probably more efficient in terms of water use. So, so are there crops that like what what's the what's the trade off? Like what right. what what are the factors that decide whether you're going to overhead or drip irrigate? Right, and and what are the barriers to drip irrigation? Is it is it certain crops? Is it the the cost? The equipment is more expensive. Um, you know what's 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 the what's the deal with that? But anyway, right, right, yeah. Like that's so. I mean, and I'm sure that these answers to these questions are known, and and probably as somebody who nominally considers himself a, a, a you know a fresh produce researcher, food safety researcher, I should probably know. But I don't really do any any field work. That's where we need people that really understand the field part of uh, of this uh, to to weigh in. But we're I mean we're asking questions that. 
that's like that the industry should have an answer to. I mean, or at yeah. least I, I think I am right. Like, yep. tell me about the details. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so my, you know, they said, here, here's a blog, uh, that'll give you better understanding. And then I look at it and no. I, in my like really terrible passive aggressive way, I answer, thanks. I'll look for details in four to six weeks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like that's it. You, you've answered nothing. Um, yep. I did, and I'm not going to call, call someone out, but I did get a, um, a couple of messages about this from people that are, um, closer to this than, than I am. And they, uh, the, uh, one of the, one of the people, um, wrote and I'll paraphrase this a little bit, um, totally unachievable hundred percent of the time and not risk-based huh. and it's, and it's all optics. Well, and I understand things that are not achievable 100% of the time. That That's fine. I, I'm willing to accept things that are only 75% effective or only work in right. 75% of the cases. But uh, what was the other part of that phrase? Totally not risk-based. That That's yeah. a problem. Optics-based, that's a problem. Yeah. And, I mean, but but looking at what's being said here, this does, and, you know, not to bash on the produce industry, but yeah, this really does look like optics. And there's there, and the fact that there is such, the, the, the implementation deadline is so quick and there's so yeah. few details. Um, it makes it, it makes it just look, it reflects for people that know how hard these things are. This reflects quite poorly, I think on the industry. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I agree. And I think it's, um, it, it's, it's a shame because they, they could, I don't know, they could do a better job at this. Like what's the, what's the problem? This, this is a, um, a, something that we've touched on, uh, before. What's the problem with, you know what, we don't really have an answer for this. This is what we're going to try. And here's how we're making the decision. Like what's, what's the problem with the show your work kind of situation as opposed to like, let's put something out there that is going to create a little bit of a stir in just our nerdy little world that says, Hey, you know what, we're going to treat all of our water. And, and then that becomes like a, a fact without, without substance and, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out soon before we actually have to set it, you know, before we actually do it, we'll figure out all the, all the, the particulars in it, but we're going to do it. Um, and, and it's not, I mean, it's just not the way that we do, that we do science. Uh, yeah, well, this is this is not science. This is this is business. This is business. It's business. Business. Yep, we're doing we're doing business. Uh, it's business time, as they say in New Zealand, as the flight of the Concorde say. Um, so yeah. So anyway, that was the, the I talked a little bit about this in um in in the class that I did the um the guest lecture for. So the second part of this before we move on to feedback and stuff was that I'm doing another guest lecture tonight, and it's kind of an exciting one for me. It's a totally different group, Don. I will be going tonight too. Let me let me get the exact spot. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll report back on this. Um, it, it is uh, a high school in um, Wake County for a symposium. It will be at uh, Wakefield High School. I will be in the greenhouse, and I will be talking about food safety in good gardening techniques and strategies to high school students and their families. Cool. Yeah, but it's the same kind of stuff, right? Yeah. Someone's going to ask me the question, okay, what should I worry about in the garden? Water, wildlife, right? Hands. I mean, these are all the things. But the practical aspect is, well, should we be using rainwater in barrels? Is that okay? And sometimes that is if I'm growing squash. And sometimes it's not if I'm applying it 
directly to the edible portion of the berry. Um, depending on when it is, I'm, I'm going to harvest it. What do I do about like, we don't have a hand wash. We don't have a hand washing sink anywhere near the, the greenhouse. How do we manage that? Like some of the, the very practical particulars will be cool because we'll be out there, be able to talk through it. Um, but it's, uh, it's, I think it's what I'm, uh, I may have realized this before, but what I'm being able to articulate now is that it's easy to come up with the things that we should manage that are risk-based. It's harder to actually tell somebody how to do that and how to do it based on what their constraints are. That's, I mean, if we could figure that out, I think we would be able to fix a lot of food safety. Yeah, agreed. And and I'm so I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for uh, Wakefield High School in Raleigh, North, North Carolina. Um, yes. There are five notable alumni. Um, oh. Major League Baseball pitcher, NFL wide receiver, professional soccer player, NFL cornerback, and a professional poker player. Ben, I only hope that your talk tonight inspires some young scientists so in the future, notable alumni from the school will include more than sports and gambling people. <laughs> I don't know. I hope – see, you're looking at this in a totally <laughs> different way than I am. I hope that my talk tonight will inspire the next notable professional poker player. <laughs> well, there you go. That's another way of looking at it. Yeah, I'm, I feel like I, uh, I, I'm, I'm doing my best. Let's let's make uh, poker safe again. Make- so, some other important information for you, Ben. Uh, their colors are maroon, black, and silver, and their team name is the Wolverines. All right. Well, I will, I will do my best to color coordinate. I don't <laughs> think I have a maroon anything. Uh, but yeah, I'll be, uh, I'll be there. They have, uh, year round sports medicine and cheerleading, uh, athletics as of well. They, of course they do. Um, so yeah, yeah. So I'll be at, uh, I'll be at Wakefield high school. Um, in, and, uh, the person who invited me, cause I think she might, uh, every once in a while, listen to the show. Um, her name's, uh, Jody Riedel and she's, uh, she's a cool teacher, uh, who does agriculture at, uh, at Wakefield. And so I'm going to go hang out with them tonight and take Sam, my, my kid. Cool. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And I say that it's not tonight. It's tomorrow night. But <laughs> it's okay. well, it's you know this. Yeah. Who knows when this podcast will air? Yeah, it right. could be tonight it was, if I get the it was last night. tomorrow. Yeah, my talk. My talk was awesome <laughs> last night, Doug. Thanks for asking. <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway, that's that. That was. Those are all the things I told you yesterday. We were texting back and forth, and they said I got a stack of index virtual index cards. Mm-hmm. Things I want to talk about. Those are those are things in my stack. But I got. There's other stuff here too. Cool. Cool. Uh, where do you want to go? What well, we talk? So I I want to do I want to do some listener feedback. Um, and usually when we do listener feedback, we start um from the back and we go forward. But this time I want to start with the most recent bit of feedback, um, which has to do with the the things in the Dropbox that are actually a couple stories that I think I put there. Um, um, but let's, so let's start with, let's start with the, the feedback. Okay. So this is, uh, you can read my message, but not my name. Um, uh, let's call, uh, let's call it, uh, uh the, the, uh, uh, listener, um, uh, I don't know, deep, uh, deep civil servant. Um, deep, so deep, sir. Yes. So uh, I'll read the message. Um, Hi, guys. Might you please provide your opinions, analysis, 
knowledge regarding the FSIS condemnation of the Washington Post article on the new swine slaughter program. The tone of the FSIS news release on April 8th sounds so unprofessional to me that I find myself confused about the issue. The release sounds to me as if it was written by a lobbyist or a political operative rather than a hardworking civil servant. Thanks very much. Love the show. So, so thanks. Uh, thanks listener. We, we appreciate that. So, um, so Ben, have you, have you been following this at all? Yeah, yeah, totally. So this is this is related to I guess two things that we'll link to in in show notes. Yep. One was a um, an article in the Washington Post on April third by uh, Kimberly Kindy, um, and the the article is entitled "Pork Industry Soon Will Have More Power Over Meat Inspections," um, and so. Um, it's a. I, I think the the article was meant sort of as a um, a scathing look at um, a partisan. Well, the Trump administration's approach to deregulating um, the the food system. And I I'll speak from sort of history in in following some of these things. This isn't um, I, a like only Trump administration thing. I think there's lots of times when we look at reforming, changing, updating, refocusing inspection systems that people get really like excited about it. And inevitably there will be some, um, reference to, uh, Upton Sinclair's the jungle Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, ding, 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 uh, on the uh, third page of this, this one, we, we have an actual, uh, reference to the jungle. Um, and and so you know, I think a while ago you and I talked about um, um, uh, poultry po- processing line speed changes, yep. um, and this is another one uh, where where the similar situation comes up. So from the um, second paragraph of this article, under the proposed new inspection system, the responsibility for identifying disease and contaminated pork, let's put a pin in that for a second, mm-hmm. um, would be shared with plant employees whose training would be at the discretion of plant owners. There would be no limits on slaughter line speeds. And so I guess the the um, the premise for many of the inspection-based um, uh, criticisms uh, or inspection inspection change criticisms that are that are out there, whether it's restaurant, whether it's um, here in in a meat processing plant or in other areas um, on farm inspections, is that somehow there. Are there's an ability to see contaminated pork or there's an ability to see diseased pork. And, and in, in some sense there, there is when it comes to sick animals coming in. But once I have, um, slaughtered that, that, uh, that, um, you know, hog in, in this situation, um, and I start to cut the pieces down, um, into smaller pieces, I can't really see contamination. I can see indicators of a sick animal, and that may lead to other, you know, a likelihood of um, being infected with, you know, certain things that are human pathogens, certain things that aren't. But it's it's kind of a it's a falsehood to to think that um, an inspection system is built to visually see contamination because we we don't we can't do that. We're not we're not really good at it. And that's so to me that's where the um, where the Washington Post article um, uh, focuses, and so there, there's two kind of interesting like players in this article. 
There's Pat Basu, who is chief veterinarian with USDA's FSIS from 2016 to 18. Um, and in this article, uh, talk about um, uh, Pat refused to sign off on the new pork system because of concerns for safety of consumers and livestock. Um, and then there's Joseph Ferguson, um, who's a former USDA hog inspector who retired in 2015, worked for 23 years under a traditional inspection system. Um, and he said federal regulators lost control when plant workers supplanted them. Hog carcasses whizzed by them, and the plant paid inspectors at speed so fast that the fecal contamination, an important indicator for E. coli and salmonella, could not be detected. Um, and so I think what gets really wrapped up in a lot of this stuff is um, inspectors and former inspectors um, saying, our, our jobs are being devalued and this may reduce our workforce. And that's not the same as our food is getting um, less safe because of this. Those are two super valid points, but I don't. The, often in the reporting of this, to me, that's it, it gets kind of wrapped up in those two things. Um, had you have you had a chance to go to take a look at the the original FS or the original um, Washington Post article? Uh, yeah, so I, I skimmed the, the post article. Th- this whole thing um, reminds me of a very, very funny uh, Gary Larson cartoon, which I just texted to you and we, we will also link to, um, which is um, his famous cartoon about early microbiologists. And it shows a bunch of uh, caveman-like looking people um, looking at Petri plates um, without microscopes, right? Because they were early microbiologists. And it, it gets to that. They had no you, microscopes. You, you, can't see, yeah. you can't see fecal contamination. So, so uh, I think you I think you've... Are, articulated it pretty well. Um, and, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think the inspector's concerns are around jobs. They're, they're not around food safety. I think that we know that the import, you can't see microorganisms and yes, if the line speeds are moving so fast that you can't, um, eliminate diseased animals from the food supply, if you can't, um, pull out fecal contamination, that's a problem. But if you have yeah. other other ways um, to handle that, it doesn't really, you know, the, the the you have to you have to be, yeah, yeah, really have to read this carefully. And the other thing I will say too is that this is as much as I would, I really am not a fan of the current administration. Um, all of this got its start under Obama, right? And so this is this is not a Trump initiative. This is this is something that's been in the works for a long time. Um, and 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 if if the, I mean, my my opinion is if it, if you can do it safely. Why not do it right? Um, and so it's not um, it's not that line speed faster line speeds are inherently unsafe. Um, if you, if you've got the data to show that line speeds food safety is independent of line speeds, or if you've got ways to show that by changing the line speeds or making the line speeds more flexible, um, you can um, have no net loss of food safety or even a gain in food safety, then you should do that. Um, the other piece of this is, and I have to confess, I'm, I've got a, a little bit of not well not insider knowledge, but but we will also link to a document uh, entitled Assessment of the Potential Change in Human Risk of Salmonella Illnesses Associated with Modernizing Inspections of Market Hog Slaughter Establishments, which is what's driving this whole thing. This is a risk assessment that was published in January 2018, um, and it was peer-reviewed by me as well as some other folks. And so I have read this entire document, um, and I have provided comments to the agency. The agency took those comments into, into consideration when it revised the risk assessment. And so uh, 
yeah, I mean, the, the, the science is, and, and, you know, it's, it's a little, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really interesting risk assessment. They did a bunch of things that are kind of weird and strange looking, but when you but this is the nature of risk assessment. You have to be able to do some sort of out of the box thinking sometimes because you've got to make decisions based on the data you have. So so again, it's it's a it's a massive uh, hundred plus page document. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been peer reviewed. Now, there were some problems in the peer review. Um, some people might quibble that the response to the peer review was not sufficient. But, um, you know, that's that's a separate that's a separate discussion. But yeah, so I'm, I'm familiar with the issue. Um, and I, you know, I'm I don't eat a lot of pork. Uh, but I'm not, in the grand scheme of things, I'm not as worried about this as I am about so many other things. But I really do, and again, I'm the first one to bash the administration, but not over this. I, I just, I don't think this is a, this is necessarily a, a political with a capital P thing. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, um, you know, the, I'm just going into the, the risk assessment side of things. I'll, I'll highlight something from, from the article. Um, about you know changing um, their system f- for testing for salmonella. So USDA officials confirmed they have no plans under the new system to test for salmonella, for which USDA once tested. That so that on its own has an alarmist kind of like line, right? It's like okay, we used to test for salmonella, now we're not going to, and and it's it, it, you know kind of wrapped up into you know this administration doesn't doesn't want regulations. Um, but the next line is, the agency will rely heavily on pathogen testing by plant owners, but those re- results will not have to be publicly disclosed. The hog plants will also no longer be required to test for E. coli, records show. And what, what's kind of missing is the insider baseball stuff that you have, um, uh, you know, a, a, little bit, um, a little bit on that. Um, and I, I want, like, so, so this is... You know that this article on its own, right? It could be was something that I wanted to talk about, <laughs> and then the like the best part of this is that there becomes like a, there's a response from USDA about the article, and it wasn't what I had expected the response to look like, and I think this is what um, Deep Civil Servant wanted us to to talk mm-hmm. about, um, and so so the response is this uh, headline. USDA's FSIS condemns the Washington Post for false reporting on a critical public health issue. And the lead is is pretty pretty great um, from a from a literary standpoint, if if nothing. Uh, uh, Dateline, Washington, April 8, 2019. The Washington Post says that democracy dies in darkness. If that's the case, then the Washington Post story about the U.S. Department's Agriculture uh, Food Safety and Inspection Service is a solar eclipse. <laughs> Boom, <sighs> dropping it, dropping it. Um, and so, so you know, the um, cl- clearly, I think what what we have here is um, something that's new. We have a federal agency that is responding uh, to criticisms in media by. Um, using a uh, like basically, it's like how we would have written something on Barf Blog. It, it has this whole like here's uh, you know we're we're gonna use a catchy lead. Um, we're gonna go point by point through it, but then add things like shame you, Washington Post. The story earns you at least four Pinocchios. 
Um, and which is a really, I don't know. It's a really, it's just a different, it's a totally surprising and different tone of communication and what it, what it turns into. And this could be just the, uh, you know, we were, we were talking about in our previous, I think it was a segment, uh, in previously that we talked about where it's, you know, I said something about science and you said, that's ah, not science, it's business. And, um, this is a, the same kind of thing. This is uh, a way to address a situation by going really on the offense and saying, you know what, here, I'm going to give you a list of, of 40 different facts here that people can turn into, um, social media memes, um, and say, this is something that was in the Washington post. This is where it was wrong. And here's you know, USDA's approach to it as, as a, as a starting point or a foundation to say, well, everything in the Washington post is wrong. Um, and that's, that's a, that's a really big, like, it's a big leap. And it's not something that I, I remember, um, state, local, federal agencies doing, uh, so much in the past. Yeah. And so let me, and let me also confess and say, I am a huge fan of the Washington post. I've become a subscriber, um, you know, in, in, in recent years for, for obvious reasons. Um, I'm a big fan of their reporting. Um, and yeah, maybe their article had some problems. I, I also, I am, I, I, I do not like the tone of this response. I, I do yeah. not. I do not feel that this is the I, I, this response from FSIS is at all professional. I think. I think it's. I think it's lacking in decorum, and maybe that's the game now. Uh, but but there's a way to have written this same criticism without this kind of language. I just. I just. I just don't feel it's appropriate at all. Um, so and and this is the this is the part that I wanted to talk about when when we put this in there is. And so you're, you know, I, I agree with you. This this might be the game. Maybe this works, right? Like, may, from from a USDA standpoint, maybe maybe their their approach here, and this is without like any any information at all, is there's someone there that's like, you know what? Let's just take this head on. We have a new system that we're we're okay with. Instead of us, um, instead of us sharing in a. Um, in a sanitized way, um, like we, like we have in the past about here's how we made a decision The show your work stuff that we talked about in the, in the previous discussion. Um, why don't we just be like really in your face? Um, like, and things like false, you know, so I'll read, read one that stood out to me. This is a quote from the, um, Washington post story. The new pork inspection system would, would accelerate the federal government's move towards delegating inspections to the livestock industry. Um, the response false. And that's all in capital yelling, yelly words, um, or yelly letters. This statement is false. No matter how many times the Washington post writes it again, only federal inspectors do meet inspections. And under the proposed rule, FSIS inspectors would continue to conduct hundred percent of the anti-mortem inspection and hundred percent carcass by carcass inspection at post-mortem. Um, I, it's like the, the part that, that you and I, I think have pause at is the false. The statement is, you know, the statement is false. No matter how many times the Washington Post writes it, I, um, the second part of that com- of that comment is you know is valid, factual based stuff. Um, and but uh, you know maybe the thought is the only way to get this to to really have our side of the story is to be way way out there with the with the tone and the wording that that we use and. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just interesting. I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't, I don't know if it's, um, 
I'm, I'm okay with it not being professional. Like I, I'm okay with the, that it, that it's not as, um, uh, polished as what we would have seen in the past. Um, but I don't, it's, it's just a really, it's just really interesting. I don't know. I, I feel like I'm wishy-washy on this because part of me is like, you know what, this is how we would attack something in Barflog and we're not the federal government. So that's totally like, you know, legit. Um, but there, there is, um, um, some, sometimes it's, it's good to have, uh, a, a public discourse around these things. Um, I don't know. And, but maybe on, and on, on my, as the, <clears throat> the more I talk about it, the more I'm like, yeah, except it doesn't have to be so far apart. Like I'm right. You're wrong. Everything you say is wrong. Everything we say is right. Like it's, it doesn't, it probably doesn't accomplish anything doing that. Yeah, I yeah I, I I will come down firmly as not in favor of this. I think I think I mean you know in in a in an ideal world uh, with infinite time, I would sit down and I would rewrite this in a way that I think makes exactly the same points. And you can you can be you can be you can be responsive and you can be pointed. But this is just this crosses for me. This crosses a line, and I think it's just it's rude. Um, and I and I don't, and I don't yep. think it's professional. And I think ultimately, our uh, we want our federal employees to be to be professional. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I get your point though that it's maybe it's effective communication. But, would, but it would we yeah it didn't work but, for me. Um, and and I'm I'm on the side of FSIS, and I, right, and I don't right. like this. Right, like uh, I'm I, I get the points that they're making, but there's a way to make them. You know, that's you know, and, and well, and I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have to I have to go back and read the the post article in detail too. But to me, the tone of the post article is, uh, you know, it's it's much more matter of fact. It, it's less pointed, right? Um, it's you know, I mean, uh, yeah. So I don't know. Well, uh, what I what I'm really wondering is how much um, how much our friend uh, <laughs> Dr. Mindy Brashears had to do with this. That's what I'm really wondering. Yeah, intro. I don't know. So um, so we should we should share. We'll link to the um, uh, food safety news uh, uh, article on her. So Mindy uh, Brashears is the. Um, uh, the the top um, USDA's uh, undersecretary for food safety. So nominally, this is under her. She was appointed by uh, the president, and um, we know her from food safety circles. She she travels in the same circles as, as Ben and I. Um, and uh, I just wonder how much uh, she has to do with this. So yeah, I, I mean, she must have had to sign off on it. Uh, you know, I, I'm just very I'd be very like very much like to be a fly on the wall for those discussions. Yeah. Well, and and here's the thing. Like so so in the food safety world, right? Like, like we were, we were probably going to talk about this this Washington Post article because it you know it got shared all over the place and it was reprinted in the, the L.A. Times and um, you know it was linked all over the place. I, I saw it on on Friday in thirty different places. Um, the response from FSIS was yesterday afternoon, and as I like peruse um, news like FSIS pork, um, I don't see a whole lot of coverage of the um, USDA response other than in our like world of weird food safety and um, uh, like um, trade publications. So it's like pork magazine um, mentioned this uh, national hog farmer mentioned it. Ag daily mentioned the USDA clapback. food safety news talked about it, but I don't see it in any of the mainstream media. And I know that's a problematic term, but I don't see it on, uh, uh, and in the non-food safety nerdy media, 
It and really what, it hasn't mattered. And right? what was and what was the spin? What was the 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 from those sources? Were they as aghast as I seem to be about this? The tone? Uh, no, no. I mean, pork pork business headline is USDA sets the record straight on new swine slaughter inspection proposal, um, and it, it is really like they they just basically um, like reprinted the press release um, and said. Uh, FSIS is appalled. FSIS spent countless hours responding to the post and providing clarification, but they didn't make it into the article. Um, no, and that's in fact right in the right in. They just reprinted the um, the whole thing. Um, I, the lo- other, I, I like yeah. I like the headline from. I I, I mostly want to. I, I don't care what the industry says. I, I'm they're more right leaning than I am, but I want to see what what Marlar has to say at Food Safety News. And I love the I love the hard the, the headline of her Dan Flynn's article. It was a hog report that USDA couldn't stomach. Couldn't stomach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's good. That's good head writing. <laughs> it is. It is. But it doesn't. I mean, truthfully, there's no one's put any perspective on this discourse, right? Back right. and forth. Like it just it didn't. So. So maybe I don't know. It's it, it's a it's an interesting tactic. Um, it, it is. Th- there are definitely times where I there are things that I see in media articles that I'm like, you know, that's just not like um, f- you know factually factually true um, or whatever whatever the term is. It's just not, it's inaccurate or fake news. It doesn't, yeah, fake, <laughs> fake news. Is that what you're looking for? Fake news. Yeah, it doesn't tell the whole story. Um, and, and a part of our, our world of scientists is to call people on, on that. Um, and this is just not what I would expect how FSI has to do it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's a really, and, and like, here's the thing, we're going to see more of these, right? Like this is where, this is a new, this is a new day. Mm. Yeah, I hope it gets reset soon. I just, I don't like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they were appalled. They were appalled at the Washington Post poor attempt. Yeah, yeah, and, and we and you know and we'll link to the we'll link to the food safety news article, which which is a you know it's it's again I, I that's good and it quotes from quotes from USDA. So, um, yeah. So anyway, cool, cool, cool. cool. Um, so yeah, thanks for um, for deep civil service uh, sending that in, and uh, yeah, it's a good it, it, it's a it's a cool thing for us to talk about. Um, I want to talk about. All right. Well, there's feedback. We should do some more feedback, but there's yes. stuff that's not feedback that we have to talk about. Okay. So, so all right. So let's do some feedback, and you jump in with something else uh, when you want to. Okay. Okay. Go. So we're backlogged on feedback because we didn't do a bunch of feedback on the the Affy sponsored show uh, last time. So, all right. So, uh, so this is uh, a good afternoon, uh, Dr. Schaffner. I greatly enjoyed your five minute fast talk at CF. CFSEC last week. Thank you for uh, talking with me after your presentation. Below, please find a link to the local, the go. We did this one. Pro- we, did we did this already. This. Oh, we, okay. yeah, yeah, we did this. This was uh, this got us into the uh, lunch sharing. Oh, okay. this was like uh, replacing fries and stuff too. Never mind. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, how about the German sandwich poisoner? Yep. Uh, talk about that. Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, we, we talked about garlic honey, right? Yeah, we talked about garlic honey. Okay. All right, so I'm going to assume that those are done. Um, 
Uh, microwave cooking. We talked about the peas. Oh, I, geez, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing here. Uh, yeah, we talked about Dr. Uh, safe. Uh, oh, oh, we ha- we haven't talked about safe cooking with style, right? No, this is new. All right, so this, this is, is new. new. So this comes from a friend of the show, uh, John, um, who will call uh, Deep Style, <laughs> um, who says you can share all details freely. Uh, John, uh, that's a J O N, uh, no, no H. Um, John, no H. Um, uh, sends. Uh, uh, sends us regular feedback. And so this is a, a, a website called saferecipeguide.org, um, which is uh, uh, basically a website that has uh, safe cooking recipes. And this is from the Partnership for Food Safety Education, which is the, the conference that I was at before that we that we were both at before, um, although not apparently at the same time because you left before I got I there. left early. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll link to saferecipeguide.org. Is there anything else you want to say about that? No, no. Just this is a good, this is a good step. Um, uh, I think a couple episodes ago, we talked a little bit of, again about uh, the paper that um, we did looking at uh, cooking um, or recipes and safe food instructions. And um, there was a, another paper that came out around the same time that um, evaluated if you put safe handling messages in recipes, are people more likely to follow them? And so all those things sort of resulted in this um, safe recipe guide. Um, and and this is the, I think it's a great, it, like, so in, now we have a resource we can point people to. We can get people people who are in the publishing world to this. These are the things that you should focus on. Um, and uh, when we repeat the um, recipe study like 20 years from now, we'll see if it actually uh, made it into any of the cookbooks. Very good. Um, uh, next bit, bit of feedback. Uh, this is follow-up from previous feedback. Uh, we we uh, had a comment from listener Deep Stack. Um, who um, uh, was gave us some rather pedantic uh, stack, stack popping feedback about pushing or popping from the stack, um, and uh, he's, he so he he actually this is interesting. He says so I had not considered that that LIFO or FIFO would have a food safety twist. Um, uh, he says so you asked for it. Here's your bonus computer technology first in first out data structure. Uh, the first in first out data structure is a queue, and he links to the Wikipedia article, um, which has the dull operal operation operational names NQ and DQ. Uh, it's also possible to have a double-ended Q uh, spelled uh, DQ, pronounced uh, or spelled D-E-Q. It's, like, it's like a toque, right? That's a hat. A um, toque? Pronounced deck. Okay. Um, <laughs> you didn't call it a toque, did you? That's it. We, I got to stop this right now. That's a toque, I think you're referring to. Oh, well, to. yeah, uh, toque is something completely different. I think the yeah, people, people in the 420, 420 section know about that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Uh, uh, so double-ended Q uh, supports adding and removing from both ends. Um, the verbs for DQs, for, for decks, sorry, are a little bit less settled, although shift, add from the front, unshift, remove from the front, push, add to the tail, and pop, remove from the tail, appear across several languages. Um, you wished out loud for something similar to what computer folks call a priority queue. A priority queue, uh, a, a priority value is ass- for an item is assigned to the at the moment the item enters the queue, rather than remove the item added to the longest longest to go, you remove the item remaining with the highest priority. In a food safety, in a food context, you could have priorities changing over time as different items suffer different temperature abuses, which is not a feature I ever recall seeing in a priority queue implementation. And my and so thank you for for sharing all of that uh, deep stack. Um, I uh, this reminds me of uh, so I took in, in graduate school I was 
interested in computers as I am now, and I took a programming class, and we had to implement a simulation of a mainframe queue uh, that had uh, priority queuing, and I think we did that in Turbo Pascal, and uh, it was um, it was like it was a whole lot of fun to write, and I remember just being really pleased that uh, a simple food scientist had written the program that was very impressive to his computer science professor. So, uh, fond memories of taking computer science classes um, in uh, in graduate school in another world I would probably be a computer programmer but I would not be able to have this fun podcast with you and get to do all the cool food safety stuff that I do. And I also probably, I'm, I'm an above average uh, predictive food microbiologist. I would probably only be an average programmer. So, <laughs> Excellent, excellent. Uh, I'm happy that you are doing this uh, as well instead of uh, computer programming because uh, uh, we, uh, we wouldn't hang out as much probably. Um, all right, so another little bit of feedback. Um, and this was... Um, uh, some follow up. Well, so, something that was on on Twitter, um, and uh, about um, uh, takeout foods uh, at a hotel restaurant in Australia, and it's not just Australia. And so this is from a Hilton. And so um, uh, Christina Summers um, posted on Twitter um, a word about Australia. I had dinner at a hotel restaurant and asked for a doggy bag to take my leftovers to my room, and I had to fill out hectoring little form on food safety and liability. And so um, in this form, it basically says, um, I am responsible for the condition and the hygiene of the food item that I am removing from the Hilton Sydney. Uh, and then you're supposed to sign it. Um, and so there was a little bit of follow-up on, on Twitter from uh, uh, Charles Vieux. Um, or Charles view. Uh, I worked at a Hilton banquet hall. If anybody wanted to take food from the buffet line home, they had to sign up on one of these. And this, uh, Christine asked him which country and it was the States. I think it's just a Hilton thing. Cause none of the other hotels I worked at require it. Um, so this is a really interesting one, um, for, you know, for lots of reasons. One is I don't think it does anything from a liability standpoint. Um, I think a uh, friend of the show, Bill Marler would, would probably attest to that. Um, that if I, took some food that, uh, back to my room, um, and it made me sick, but it was also, you know, the, it, it was maybe was contaminated before I got there. There may be some portion that would, of liability would follow me, but it doesn't, this signing, this doesn't do anything from the, like protect the Hilton that much probably. Right. <clears throat> but what it might do is highlight this, this situation where it's like, Hmm, it's a communication vehicle, right? right. It's like, I should maybe treat this differently because I have to sign this thing. What is it that I should do differently um, around it? Which is kind of cool, I think. It's a it's an interesting um, it, it, uh, interesting approach if that's what it's there for. Right. Well, and and maybe there's a communication opportunity here, Ben, like to to create a form that is not a hectoring little nanny state form, um, but in fact just informs and entertains um, the reader and gets them to have the right behavior. Right. Like so, yeah. so that would be much better. Right. Rather than um, signing this thing, which, you know, looks very corporate and very annoying um, and which, again, generated a really interesting uh, thread um, that we were that we were uh, copied into. So, uh, yeah. So good stuff. And yeah, I mean, good, good for Hilton for worrying about food safety, maybe bad, uh, bad implementation, but you know, whatever it was, it was a good discussion on Twitter. And so thanks, uh, thanks for uh, whichever listener um, uh, basically um, pointed us out, pointed out to us. Absolutely. Um, what else? Uh, what else do you want to talk about here? Oh, um, 
I I'm I'm open. You know, you you're, you're you drive. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna drive. What do you What do you think about uh, buffets? Oh, I have so much to say about buffets, Ben. I have so much to say about reporters that write articles about buffets. And and talk about a golden corral that's in Freehold, New Jersey, Ben. Amazing. And I, don't interview me. I mean, good good for them for interviewing a young assistant professor at University of Georgia. But I kind of I kind of feel I feel slighted, Ben. I feel like I should have been involved. I feel like I, I, I why was I not consulted? Why why didn't they just? Could you walk to this uh, golden golden corral in Freehold, New Jersey? Is this? Could um, you have done this on one of your like you walk walk over there, listen to a podcast? You, like was it part of your? It's is it in your loop? Well, see, it depends on it depends on what you mean by walk there. Um, it is possible for someone to ride their bicycle um, from uh, my ex wife's house to my house. Uh, I know this because my my younger son, who was recently visiting, did this. Um, it did take him eight hours <laughs> to, wow. to ride that distance. But oh my god! But yeah, he's a serious he's a serious cyclist. So so shout out to uh, Zach, um, who doesn't listen to the podcast, I think. Um, but uh, yeah, it would be possible to walk to this Golden Corral. Um, it would probably be an hour walk but you could you could get there it's not it's not in it's not in freehold borough it's in freehold township but it's close to the borough so yeah you could you could walk to it i i wouldn't but it's a it's yeah. a probably a five ten minutes car drive car ride so yeah nice okay so anyway what we're what we're alluding to is a vox article um that was uh, published uh, last week um entitled uh and it's by uh, caitlin tiffany when did america's heart turn cold on buffet chains um and uh, the subtitle is potentially around the same time the term fried rice syndrome entered the lexicon. And so the article really details the rise and I would say the somewhat fall of buffet food um, in the U.S. I I'll, I'll, let me let me talk a little bit about buffet in my um, in, in, in my history in my life. I only associated buffet food with visiting the United States. Growing up in Canada, there just wasn't like salad bars and buffets at the same type of, um, same amount. I mean, I definitely, in this article, they talk about, um, uh, Ponderosa, they talk about Sizzler, um, they talk about, um, the, uh, the aforementioned Golden Corral. All of these things I associate with like times that I went to Florida or went golfing with a bunch of guys, um, for cheap eats and lots of variety. Um, so I didn't, I, I didn't really like do a lot of buffet stuff. Um, and so, so it, it the, the article is kind of like, I mean, I think it's good. It's good. Um, it, kind of ties together like the the first half of the article is really about um, a bunch of places going out of business and how uh, th- I think this is just a changing focus of food in the US we've got many more quick service style restaurants that are offering very specific types of foods that didn't exist before. And, you know, a favorite fan favorite on, on, uh, food safety talk, uh, Chipotle is one of those places where, um, you know, we, we had traditional Mexican restaurants and you had Taco Bell and then Chipotle kind of slid somewhere in, in the middle of that. Um, and it would, uh, those types of restaurants, there's, um, Asian restaurants that are similar, quick service. There's, um, you know, Peter restaurants, whatever, whatever you're looking for, things that may have, um, been part of some of these buffets or offerings of lots of variety. Um, I think that's probably changed, um, how, you know, how much of the American food dollar is ending up at buffets. Um, 
And uh, so they talk about Old Country Buffet, which I've not been to, um, uh, uh, but that was uh, part of a uh, an outbreak. And then ha- the second half of the story, or le- not maybe second half, but a big chunk of the story in the middle is um, is focused on food safety. And shout out to um, uh, Laurel Dunn, who uh, I don't do you know? Do you know Laurel at well, all? I'm looking at her webpage right now. Uh, don't be creepy. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm trying to figure. I I know I recognize her. I think I've met her. Um, she has published with a friend of the show, Michelle Daniluk, as well as a friend of the show, uh, Dr. Faith Critter yes. uh, uh, from uh, uh, University of Tennessee, now in further west, Washington, Washington State. State. So, yeah. So, so, so yeah. Laurel, yeah. Laurel is a um, former graduate student of both of those of our esteemed colleagues. Oh, okay. Master's and PhD. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and Laurel and I, uh, along with Laura Strawn at Virginia Tech, are working on a um, project together, uh, hopefully really soon, um, around uh, things that I can't talk about yet. Um, but oh, Laurel's cool. super cool. cool. Um, and oh, so, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm I'm talking about a project with Laura Strawn that I can talk about, um, and it's on listeria and fresh produce. So I'm really right. it's it's great to work with Laura. Well, I can talk about the like <laughs> slightly. It's about um, it's about food safety and distribution centers. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. So. Um, Anyway, the yeah, so so Laurel, uh, shout out to her for um, getting interviewed on on this and talking a little bit about um, lots of things that you might see um, at a buffet, uh, and mainly focusing on things like undercooking uh, and then also uh, temperature abuse. Um, and so the thing that like, and and this is just my cr- critique, not beyond um, uh, Caitlin Tiffany not inviting you out for lunch to go to Golden Crow, um, it. <laughs> It, the, my my biggest critique here is I was expecting um, that you know food safety was maybe part of the reason, and I don't think it really is. I don't think Vox it's, makes a really good. They don't make a good connection. No, they they, they just they, say I mean, they, they talk about food safety. They talk about Bacillus cereus. Uh, they talk about uh, how a Texas woman sued her Chinese buffet for a million dollars after she contracted fried rice syndrome. Um, yeah, I mean it's. Uh, I, I mean, I, it's. It was. I found it to be an interesting article. I about fell yeah. out, fell out of my chair when it mentioned. It literally mentions this uh, this 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 Golden Corral in Freehold, New Jersey. Um, I, I like I said, I really really I was really quite shocked by that. I guess I shouldn't be because people a lot of people live in New Jersey, including apparently this reporter who lives at least nearby New Jersey. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, I found it very interesting. Um, I mean, I think that you know some of the points they make about buffets are good, uh, but and they but they kind of try to make it a food safety story, and it's not really. It's really a story right. about a business model that, for a variety of reasons, doesn't work. Um, although that said, we go every week. We go uh, to our local uh, Indian restaurant, which we can walk to um, in downtown Freehold uh, for their uh, lunch buffet, um, which is delicious. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm I'm in favor of buffets. Uh, I think I mentioned before that they have a giant bottle of hand sanitizer at the beginning of that buffet, um, and so that's that's a good thing. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm in I'm, I'm buffets are good, but but I mean Mer- Americans you know shouldn't eat so much, so buffets are maybe bad. But I I, I found the whole the discussion of cost and uh, trying to you know figure all that out. I just a very interesting from you know from a mathematical point of view, like how do you make money at a buffet? Um, because you, yeah, have, you, you know yeah. how many people do you have and how much are they eating and I mean that the, to me that would be a really fascinating uh, uh, you know uh, co- discussion about optimization like how do you where where you put the price uh, so that you you make money right 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 well um, and and I think that that you know the changing landscape of food 
service, right? Like I think it was an interesting dis- discussion on that. Um, and, and this does come up a little bit, you know, just to harken back to our um, last episode where we talked about frozen food. One of the things that is um, part of um, a, a, a common practice in, in buffet foods when it comes to um, uh, you know frozen corn, frozen peas, and or at least has been historically is slacking directly in um, the service table or in the steam table, mm-hmm. um, where I'm just opening up a bag of frozen corn and I'm using the steam, uh, the hot holding steam itself to take that frozen corn up to temperature for service. Um, and so, like, it, just the, the inherent. Um, uh, it, it inherent uh, a goal of trying to be um, um, like very quick on service and and do it with the high you know highest quality or whatever um, can lead to to these issues. Um, hey, so I just sent you a text because I was mm-hmm. really interested in this. Um, uh, productions paddock gliding. Oh, <laughs> that's uh, what three words gets you right to the golden crown Carl. on Highway Nine and Freehold, Freehold New, Jersey. New Jersey. Nicely Pro- done, sir. Productions paddock gliding. Oh, that's a good one. Um, cool. Okay, so there was there was our article on buffets. Um, what was I put something in here about? Oh, 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 oh. Um, hey, so I've I, I had a. Um, uh, a call, well, a um, not a call, an email about doing some stuff uh, about food waste and gleaning and um, taking post um, post cooked food and maybe freezing it and donating it or um, food that was in grocery store chains um, and donating it and what how do you do that on a large scale and what's the you know safest way to do it and anyway so I'm not going to go like out everybody, um, on these messages, but I was, I was asked to be part of a phone call and share some standard operating procedures that we developed for a guy, um, in, in Charlotte, uh, as part of a program that I don't think has a website. So I don't think there's anything to link to, but it's called stew of sustainability. Um, and it was a, uh, a project that, that we presented about a year ago at a talk or at a conference that you were here in North Carolina, um, at uh, our governor's task force on food safety and security. Anyway, so um, the reason why I put this email in here is is to um, to sort of highlight the complexity of some of these situations, and so. Um, so the person emailed me and said, okay, I want to get together all the people that might influence the regulation of donated foods. And so he lists some, um, some folks out there and is really highlighting the food protection people who work with the state health department and local health departments in the state. And what he, what he missed, um, and that I highlighted to him is that when we look at things like farmer's markets or like even in our, in our grocery stores here in North Carolina, the um, deli, the seafood, the uh, butcher counter, um, and any of the hot service foods, those are regulated by the local health department. But the raw agricultural commodities that are, could be donated are not even regulated by that that health department. They're under the Department of Agriculture's jurisdiction. So, so a, um, a Harris Teeter or a Kroger or a Wegmans soon to be um, or a Publix um, may have – um, really two sets of regulations that they have to follow in the same entity. And that, it, it just struck me as that that's like something that 
that I know about because I have to deal with it all the time. But even people who are adjacent to the food world in my state didn't have that perspective. And so I, I just wanted to share that that there are like it's not a simple system. And I, I can see how people get really frustrated when I'm like, well, you know what? It's actually under these sets of regulations for these things. But if you're getting, you know, the Harris Teeter wants to donate some food from their deli, then that's a local health department question. But if they want to, the same store wants to donate tomatoes, then that's a department of agriculture question. We need to get both of those groups together and they are going to have different perspectives and they aren't following the same, they don't have this, the same set of federal guidelines or state regulations on it. And and so just be aware of that. And I could, I could like get the feeling from the people that I'm telling this to that that they're doing doing two things: one, rolling their eyes, and two, like throwing their hands up, like "ah, oh, it's too complicated." And and I don't. I mean, I, I didn't really have a. I just wanted to share that. I just wanted to um, to highlight some of this complexity, and it's and that's only just the regulatory stuff. Like we're not even thinking about or talking too much about the food safety risks and and managing them. Um, but this stuff gets really it gets really complex, and you've got lots of different players involved. So I don't have a way to end that. I just wanted to share it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So is that and is that a North Carolina specific thing, or it's is not, that it's every? Yeah. It would be every state. It no, and it's not. See, that's the thing. It's not every state. Um, and and so so you know when we go to conference for the food CFP, protection, yeah. yeah. So CFP is as you and I call it. Um, the, you know they they have. Have you stuck around um, for the the vote of the delegates? Not always, but yes, sometimes. Okay, enough, so enough to know what it is. Yep. Yeah, so sometimes some places have half votes. Right. Um, and in those cases, it's actually even more complex where the Department of Agriculture in some jurisdictions or some geogra- not just geographic location will regulate the um, the uh, grocery store. And then the health department in other geographic locations will regulate the grocery store or the, or, or the restaurant. In Florida, I think there are three agencies that implement different – versions of the food code, depending on the type of restaurant or facility you are. Like if you're a, um, like a long-term care facility or a hospital versus fast food versus like full service restaurants, something like that. Someone can, can clarify that, but it's, it's really, it, it, we're not the only one that has these complications. There are lots of States that, that look at things, um, in, in a patchwork kind of way. And the system was built, you know, a long time ago without having this question of donated food in mind, right? Like that, that someone is going to have to navigate a whole bunch of different regulatory pieces, um, on it. But yeah, it's not just unique to North Carolina. Yeah. And the, and this whole issue of donated food is an interesting one as well. And I think I've talked with, uh, Brian Numer, who's also a colleague that attends uh, CFP with us, um, about, so he does, he does a lot of uh, consulting work for, uh, the casinos in Las Vegas. And of course they make a giant amount of food and a lot of it goes on buffets and they also want to do a good thing and donate that food. And they want to be in compliance with regulations and they want to do it safely. And sometimes there's a way to do it safely, but it's not in compliance with the regulations. Um, and yeah, it's all about time and temperature, right? And so, you know, I think that there are some things that we could do uh, to try to do that safer, but this is the worst. We're figuring it out slowly. And, and again, it's, you know, there are things that might not be legally possible, but that you, sh- you should be able to do safely, but it just requires some record keeping and, and knowing what you're doing. Right. So yeah, interesting, interesting times for sure. Yeah, it, it is. And it's, um, it just becomes really like, 
uh, hard to, hard to follow sometimes. Um, the, so the other thing that I put in the, in the notes and it was, I was like, why did I put this in there? <laughs> Is the CFR Code of Federal Re- Regulations Title Twenty One because what what ended up happening in in this um, in this online conversation about donations was I said um, something about racks raw agricultural yep. commodity and I just responded like I just put it like oh you know sometimes the the racks are regulated differently um, because they're not cut and they're not TCS foods so so in the produce area. In a grocery store, my my cut produce it may be different than than the racks. And and someone was like, "What's a rack?" And I was like, "Oh, the raw agricultural commodity." And then I was like, "You know what? There there are like actual federal definitions for this." And so um, we can um, we can link to this uh, in in show notes. But it basically goes through fruits and vegetables, such as, and then it lists like two hundred of them, starting with almonds, ending with yams, Whoa. A to Y. Uh, and all of the things in between. Um, so yeah, so it was, uh, it, like, I don't know. It's, I, the, the more I get into this, the more I, I, I find these like kind of interesting to me, nuanced, uh, situations that if you're not in it, you don't, you don't know it. And, and I can, like I said, I can see how people can just get super frustrated and be like, ah, oh, screw that. I'm just not going to do it. Um, so anyway, um, so, so I, I, I want to talk about something, uh, uh, that, uh, came across my desk via, um, Facebook, I think, uh, I think it was from friend of the show, deep new England who sent us a message on Facebook and it is about, um, uh, let's see, it is a, a story entitled delicate millennials, colon, grocery, oh, yes. grocery chain pro- introduces new product to combat young people's hilarious phobia. Um, Wow, what did you what did you think of this article? Oh, I have some highlights here, Don. Let me pull this one up. Um, I, so, okay, so the the article is really about um, um, new touch free packaging in the UK uh, for store brand raw chicken that allows chicken to be slid directly onto a the cooking apparatus, which I think means the sheet pan or whatever it is that I'm uh, you know the pan itself. Um, uh, so, um, as Sainsbury's revealed they will be selling touch-free packaging for millennials who are scared of touching raw meat. Three quarters of Brits say that they do feel comfortable, um, handling raw meat when cooking. Only 18% said they don't. Uh, consumers, particularly the younger ones are quite scared of touching raw meat. Catherine Hall, Sainsbury's product development manager for meat, fish and poultry told the times, um, Hall went on to say that she thinks that young customers don't like handling raw meat due to a lack of education on food safety, or possibly a love of eating out. As many millennials in the focus group said that they prefer someone else to cook for them. I would also prefer someone else to cook for me. Um, I, I I don't know it, this one I'm, I'm getting more, um, uh, more in tune, more, um, aware of like, let's blame millennials for everything and millennials, right? Like, and this is one of those, one of those ones where it's like, you know what, there, there is probably like a food safety aspect of giving someone a no to no touch, um, product that has little to do with millennials. If you want to market it to millennials, go for it, but don't make it like millennials are stupid and they're scared of meat. Cause it's, uh, it's not, uh, that's, that's the way I read it. How did right. you read it? I, I read it like I would buy this. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have concerns about packaging, right? I do believe that we need to not have excessive waste and packaging. Um, but I don't think it's a phobia. It's 
common sense. You don't want to touch raw meat if you can help it, right? So I, I like the idea that you could create packaging, that you could get it into the pan without touching it. That's that's a that's a good food safety practice, right? And and you yep. need to figure out a way to do it that doesn't create a lot of extra packaging. And so if you can do those two things or you can play that trade-off, uh, I, I think it's a fantastic idea. I and yeah, and this whole idea of blaming millennials for ruining things is it's I'm that's I just I can't wait for that to be over. Yeah, thanks Obama. <laughs> uh, uh, I, what I love the, in this is that it's referred to as new millennial friendly packaging. <laughs> Like it's just awesome. So yeah, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready for that to be over. I also like I kind of identify as a millennial sometimes. Um, I, so, I can't keep track. And you know, I'm supposedly uh, whatever. Whatever. What am I supposedly? Um, are you like a Gen Xer? No. Um, what's the one before that? Uh, baby boomer. I'm a Jesus baby boomer. boomer, but I'm like right in the cusp between baby boomer and Gen Xer. I think I identify more as a Gen Xer than a baby boomer. I think of my parents as baby boomers. You're. Uh, um, you were the greatest generation, Don. <laughs> I think you're thinking of. <laughs> I think you're thinking of that podcast that John Roderick does. I think so. Yeah, yeah, the one with the with the omnibus. Um, no, no, no a different uh, one. He has a he has a podcast called Greatest Generation. He does. Doesn't yeah, he? I think he's got yeah, he's got that, and then he's got the uh, Friendly Fire. Friendly Fire. Yeah. Um, uh, speaking of John Roderick, so my <laughs> my kids. Two, two things. One is, um, John doesn't know this, but you and I are going to go to Seattle and hopefully have lunch with him and eat potatoes. Hopefully. Uh, well, no, no, not, not all of us are going to eat potatoes. No, but I'm eating potatoes. I'm, I like, I'm making a point of ordering some potatoes, Pota- potatoes for the table is the way that I like to, to, to think of it. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, so John, John Roderick, um, is a host of uh, a couple of, or co-host of a couple of my favorite podcasts. And one that I really, really like is Omnibus, uh, him and Ken, Je- Ken Jennings. I like that. It's like just a quick, you know, every episode's a little different, uh, topic there. They have a great, um, uh, the great charisma, great relationship on, on the mic. Um, anyway, there's also a, um, uh, how, st- how stuff works. I think that's another podcast that my wife listens to. Um, and, and my, my son, Sam gets no stuff you should know. That's it. Um, Sam gets confused because stuff you should know in Omnibus, I think are similar types of podcasts, but, but he is like, why isn't John Roderick on stuff you should know? (laughs) Yes. And he's like, and why do you, and he said to me last night, he's like, why do you call this podcast Omnibus? Well, mom calls it stuff you should know. (laughs) And you're like, it's a different podcast, son. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. It is. It is. It's like, why do you call it that? Well, it's not called, it's called stuff you should know. Um, anyway, so check oh, that's out. That's very funny. Know. That's, that is an interesting, uh, thing that happens in your son's mind. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yes. So many interesting things. <laughs> uh, one of what it's, uh, this is a the time it's almost like I'm uh, showing pictures of my kids, which people love. Um, there's nothing that people love more than hearing about your golf game, your fantasy football team and seeing pictures of your kids. Um, <laughs> And so let me tell you another story about my child who every time he gets in trouble and we ask him a question like, Sam, why don't you have your shoes on? His response is, that's the question I'm asking. <laughs> and, and so this is like maybe four or five times a day. He, he says, like, Sam, why aren't you ready? That's the question I'm asking. <laughs> So, so now we've, I've found that Danny and I are now doing that to ourselves. Like, well, what should we have for dinner? Well, that's, that's the question. question I'm asking. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, so there you go. Um, 
I don't know. I haven't even, I'm not even keeping track of the, of the time. I wanted to talk one more, one more thing though. Sure. Um, if you've, uh, if you've got time, you bet. Uh, um, and I lost it here, but it's about roadkill. <laughs> oh, let's go roadkill. Uh, I don't know where this one com- came from. I, I think you might've put this in, uh, meals yep. under wheels, more States make it uh, legal to eat roadkill. Critics warn about the risks of diseased meat worried that overeager drivers, um, may intentionally strike down animals. Those are two separate things. I just wanted to point <laughs> out. Uh, um, you found it on the side of the road. It's, it's actually a well, well-written well article here. You found it on the side of the road, and now, in more than two dozen states, you can eat it with a side of potatoes, unless you're John Roderick. Um, at least 27 states have passed legislation allowing drivers to turn their roadkill into dinner, and lawmakers and others, including California, are poised to do the same. Um, and so – uh, you know, basically it's, it's a very short article about, um, changing laws and talking a little bit about, um, about safety and, and it's a really, so I, I was in a, for a short, I used to be known as Dr. Um, as Dr. Roadkill on the internet. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. I do remember uh, that. Yeah. But back, back five or six years ago, uh, for whatever reason, I like wrote a blog post and then, uh, and then NPR, uh, interviewed me about this. Um, so I'll link to, um, a, a barf blog post, uh, on this, but I think this, another one's like a fascinating kind of a story. It's a risk benefit question. Um, and I, I was first made aware of this, um, well, or first sort of got into the intricacies of, of this uh, on a one health panel that I did with um, a, a colleague um, at RTI International. Her name's um, Andrea Anitor. And she um, she did some work looking at coping strategies for um, food disparity, for for hunger, and for um, you know um, individuals who are uh, who are struggling to to find food. And so one of the coping strategies that came up, were, you know, this is along the lines of dumpster diving, um, but was was like eating roadkill. And so the question through her came, you know came to me of like. As people are, are are using this, what kind of good food safety information can we can we give them? And so, I I kind of came down on like, um, not came like I I kind of said okay, well, we we have trouble assessing disease, and so you look at things like, um, you know some animal diseases that people can get, not just through meat, but through handling the food, um, like stuff like tuberculosis or, um, you know, uh, you know, chronic wasting diseases is another one that could be a, a risk factor for, um, uh, for, uh, Kreutzfeld, uh, Jakob disease, uh, mm-hmm. you know, similar, yep. uh, um, you know, brain disease similar to, to BSE. Um, but, but what was really like interesting in, in all these conversations was, um, like, well, how do you, how do you communicate that to someone? Like what, this is like an extension challenge and I don't think we ever really, um, really settled on, on a, on a really good answer. And this is one of the things that almost like with food donations, um, that, that I, I worry a little bit about, um, in the world of food safety. And if I can be an advocate for funding some of these questions, um, I, I, I hope to do some of that because I think we can find lots of money out there to look at the listeria risks in you know, um, distribution centers for food service or listeria in, um, growing, um, you know, cause it's a, it's a, has a public health impact and the, there's a, a food industry need to answer the question. But something like roadkill, there's just not like a, 
there, there's no one out there that would that 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 has funds to support answering that question, and even just answering how <laughs> yeah, I'd, who would I'd, even fund that? <laughs> right? Who would do that? Who would fund it? Right? Like no one. So we can't really answer the question in a, in a in a in a really succinct way, the same way that we can for food industry stuff. And it's a pro, like it's a problem, but we don't even know how widespread it is. We don't really have a good sense of the risks. We can only talk about it in the theoreticals. And um, and there's and I don't like I don't think there's an answer to it. It's just that's the fact. That's this. That's the situation. Um, so fun people who are interested in in quirky food safety questions. Someone fund some of this stuff if people have questions, uh, you know, research questions around it, because it. It could, I don't know, like maybe there's a public health risk that we haven't identified yet and there are certain people that are eating this food as a coping mechanism and they're getting sick from it. Um, we just don't, we just don't know. Yeah. And, you know, and this, this is, I wanted to segue this direction anyway, but this reminds me of um, the work that we did with uh, Bill Hallman and Sandy Godwin on the safety of mail order foods, right? Um, in that, like, who would fund that? Well, it turns out that uh, if it's meat and poultry, uh, USDA would fund that, right? And And they did. And that started a whole process, including the Contrary for food protection document on the safety of mail order foods, and then the the next iteration of that, which is looking at the safety of mail order foods plus third party delivery services. And so, um, the thing, if you're done, are you done with roadkill? I'm done with roadkill. <laughs> never, any, never again. Um, never, yeah, uh, no, talk to roadkill out. <laughs> I want to. I want to talk to you about um, uh, California uh, AB. 1360, which is a bill introduced by Assembly Member Ting, um, and basically this uh, this bill would define a food a food delivery platform as a business engaged in the service of online food ordering and delivery from food retail establishments to a consumer. Um, and basically the idea is that they want to make sure that this delivery, the, the people that work in this delivery platform are uh, properly trained. Specifically, they want to make sure that they have what's called a food handler card. Um, have you ever heard of a food handler card? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm okay. Familiar. You know, I learned something. So just as an aside, mm-hmm. so it's not something that's required in our state yep. um, at all. But there is one local health department jurisdiction that has something on the books, like back to the '70s. It says, I think it's like Lumberton, um, North Carolina. It says if you're going to serve food in Lumberton, you need to have a food handler or food handler card. Wow. It's, yeah, crazy. Anyway, I can I'll I'll do some more investigation on that. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So I, I had never heard of this until this this particular legislation uh, came to to my attention. It makes sense. I guess I maybe I sort of knew intuitively that such a thing would exist. So basically, for those of you who are familiar with the Serve Safe program, Serve Safe is a multi day training. Uh, the food handler card is a much more abbreviated, uh, simpler uh, training. Um, uh, anyway, so um, so this this particular. Um, legislation came across my desk because of the work that I'm doing with the Conference for Food Protection Committee. And we have a number of <clears throat> folks that have these um, third-party delivery services that are, uh, I guess they're a little, they're concerned about um, that this this particular code might uh, preempt some of the work that the committee is doing. Have you, and even in the five minutes or less that I, I, you've had to look at this document, do you have any thoughts? Um, 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think this is in, like in, interesting. Um, I think a friend of the show, Linda Harris, had, had brought up something a while ago um, to us a, about this where um, someone like Blue Apron, I, and I'll, I'll give you that as, as an example. I'm not sure if that that is. Um, they were operating under the, the thought that from a jurisdictional standpoint, they would not be under the food code, then not be like a retailer because they are like a, a packaged food processor. Um, and um, that would put them into like a FISMA area, and I may be getting this backwards, as opposed to a food code regulation. And and the the difference between um, like FISMA and food code, and this is you know maybe why we're we're seeing a food handler um, card is that you know the, in some jurisdictions, if I'm under um, FISMA for food processing, I would need to have like a person in charge who, um, unless I'm, you know, unless I'm exempt, but would have, uh, have to be, um, PCQI trained, but not certified food protection manager trained, which is the retail, um, end of things. And so the thought was it would be b- better business advantage wise to have someone go through the, you know, do be regulated under FISMA as opposed to, um, food code. And I think that that's where I'd, I'd first sort of learned about this as a, um, as an aside, I actually chaired um, a uh, um, CFP um, committee uh, on employee food safety training, which sought to our charge was to actually harmonize the food handler card topics across, um, like as part of the food code. And so we, um, I, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll link to the issue. We presented an issue that was accepted last year at, at, at CFP that said, okay, here are the things that should be in um, employee food safety training. Um, and, and so to, because with the, one of the, one of the issues with food handler cards is that a food handler card in, um, you know, Lumberton, North Carolina may be based on the 1976 code mm-hmm. and the food handler card in uh, Fort Worth, Texas might be on the 2013 code. And, and that's, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, 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 but so, I mean, I, obviously you agree with safety, you know, f- training in general, but what do, do. You, do, you, do you, do you want, uh, the person who is, do you, do you use any of these third party services, DoorDash, Instacart? Um, I'm not, I've never done it. Okay. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but if they're not handling my food, like they're, as long as we're not like, going back to the, the discussion that we had, um, on the previous podcast about the Rhode Island substituting food. Um, as long as they're not like, like Postmates, not like actually repacking my fries. I don't really care. They're just like a, they're just a, it's like, I wouldn't care if, um, if Amazon, the person who's bringing my Amazon box is, has a, um, you know, a food handler card, right? Like if my Amazon box has the perishable foods that I, that I, in it, like they're not, they're not actually touching it. They're just, you know, they, they need to worry about temperature control, but I can assess the temperature control when I get it based on, is it melted or what's the temperature? Right. right? Or, Or like these services. And I think this is what Instacart does. These services where they'll go to the store and shop for, you Now that would never work for you. Cause you like shopping. But, I love to shop, yeah, but, like, but if you didn't, um, hey, well here, maybe, maybe you could, maybe you could sidelight as doing shopping for people. What do you think? That's not bad. Like a personal shopper. Yeah. Personal shopper. So I, I could be, I could do that. So do you, what, so what do you think about somebody like that? Um, yeah. So, so now I, yeah, maybe now we're, we're looking at a place where it's important that they're not like packing my packaged, uh, meat right next to my ready foods. And, um, 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if the if the card itself, like going through that that certification or that training, gives them the tools it, enough to do that. Well, right? exactly. Like like that, the, it gives you certain tools which may not be relevant, or it might it might de-emphasize certain things that you would want to emphasize, right? So, and, I, and that was as that was actually the the substance of the discussion I've had on this recently. So, I just thought I would I just thought I would share that with you and, and get your perspective. So, yeah, yeah. Whoa, Don! I just got some. I, this is breaking news. Mm-hmm. Um, I got. I just got an email um, to my Ben Chapman at barfblog.com. Um, uh, this account is hacked. <gasps> Renew your password right now. You know you, this is. It gets oh my better. Gosh. Um, you may not heard about me, and you m- may be most probably wanting to know uh, for what reason you're getting this particular letter. Right. Right, Don. Right. right. That's the question I'm asking. I mean, why? Why me? Well, hang on. It's uh, I, I need. I need to put this. Direct, you got to <laughs> get that. Did you get that reference there? I did. I did. Okay. Um, uh, so, right, right. Uh, I'm a hacker. That's one word. Who uh, burst your email system two months ago? Don't attempt to message me or find me. It's hopeless because I forwarded you an email using your hacked account. I've developed a special program to the Adult Vids website and suppose that you have enjoyed the site to have fun. You know what I really mean. (laughs) Oh, Ben, Uh, those those Adult Vids sites. I know. I generated a backup of the system, all the files and personal contacts. Clearly, I think uh, 1,000 USD will be a reasonable amount of money for this very little secret. You'll do the deposit by bitcoins. In case you don't recognize this, try to find how to purchase Bitcoin in, in the Google. Um, my Bitcoin wallet address is, and then then if I, I mean we could share this if someone wants to give this guy this a hacker uh, Bitcoin. But I only have forty eight hours to send the payment. There's an exclusive pixel in this message, and to the point of understanding, you've read this email. Oh my gosh, Don, they're tracking me. Oh, with the pixels, man. They're tracking. That's how they get you with the pixels. They got me with the pixels. If I fail to get bitcoins, I'll immediately give your video file to each of your contacts, such as relatives and coworkers, etc. And that's with a question mark. <laughs> I'm Don. I'm. I hopefully. Uh, I mean, you know, if you get a video uh, of me, uh, you'll know that I haven't paid the thousand uh, dollars bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, well, there you go. So People the, like the, the, from the, the latest, the latest thing, the latest bit of spam I've been getting is, um, I and I, I apologize. I, I it would be very a lot of fun to actually read it. Um, I got it's, um, but I but I, I deleted the uh, the visual voicemail. But it basically, it's so, someone telling me that my social security, they have my social security number. It's been compromised, and that I need to contact them immediately. <laughs> yeah, please, please contact me immediately. It's uh, I need to know all of your information because I have your social security number. It's been con- compromised. Oh, nice. Well, um, I think that's a show. I think it is. All right. Well, um, I haven't looked on the uh, uh, on the iTunes. I you know, every once in a while when we're talking, I check to see if people are rating us. I don't know if they are. Maybe they're not. Um, I do know that people are listening every once in a while because, as I mentioned before, they asked me about my baseball hat. Um, and so, if you go back a couple episodes, you'll learn about the real the real Ben Chapman and his baseball cap. Um, so yeah, Don. As always, I enjoy talking to you. Like I said before, um, I look at this as some therapy. Uh, you're the non um, non uh, sports person that I know that I can talk to about sports things. Uh, you don't judge me, and then we get to talk for a bunch of time once once Jack age fast forwards it to the food safety uh, talk portion of the podcast. So um, thanks again, and I'm glad you weren't you didn't become a computer programmer. Well, thanks, Ben. I'm glad that you didn't either, or whatever it was you started off doing. I I thought I didn't really start off doing it, but I oh. thought when I was in high school, I was going to be a lawyer. 
Oh, wow. And I, maybe I still will. I mean, there's still time. Yeah. I don't even know why I didn't even, truthfully didn't even know what a lawyer did. I just, (laughs) right. Like, what are you going to be? I think I might be a lawyer. Okay. If if you, if that's an answer that if you tell people they'll like say, Oh, that's good. Yeah. Saying you want to be a doctor, right? Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, and so it turns out I, I, don't, I, I don't, say, don't say Indian chief though. That's, uh, that's I, racist. It's problematic. It's problematic. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, uh, it turns out I, I, I ended up being a doctor as oh, I tried to be a lawyer. I ended up being a doctor. <laughs> well, not that kind of doctor, not that kind of doctor at all. Uh, good. All right. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Right. Bye-bye. So I got a bunch of I got a bunch of titles, um, most of which were at the beginning, but I'm going to send them to you. Okay, good. I only said show title. I didn't even write any write any down. <laughs> the only the only <laughs> these are good. <laughs> I really like Dung Dung. <laughs> no, like, like I think that's the one, right? I know it's early right. on. It was okay. the one that was like Dung Dung. Um, okay. Dr. Roadkill on the internet. Uh, that's the question I'm I, th- I think that's my personal favorite because it's tw- sort of towards the end. But yeah. I'm going to see if I can video. Okay. I'm good with either. That's the question I'm asking. See, so, you know what? The question I'm asking, let's go with that because there's a better picture, right? Like, yes, you just use exactly. Yeah. Something. That's the question I'm asking. Um, <laughs> thanks so much. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah, good stuff. Um, cool. Okay. And then you've got this one. I think yep. I've sent you all of my links. Yep. I, I, and I'm mostly, I got them even before, cause you just, you, you usually give enough detail and then you're talking so I can Google them, but I yeah, I got them all. So cool. Um, yeah, that was good stuff today. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we got April 9th. You're in France for a while. Yes. Um, so when do you, you leave this week and then you're not back until the 20, no, when are you going? Yeah. So you- I could do, I could do three weeks from today. Okay. That's the 30th. Yes. That's a go. I am I am holding that day um, to do a HACCP workshop that I'm not going to do. Oh, you know what? Could we do the 29th instead? Probably. Yep. Yeah, we can. So uh, we have writing buddies. The yep. only other thing I have on the um, – so we could do right after writing buddies. Perfect. Because um, I've got nothing until one. Cool. So I will, um, I will put it 
uh, right after Writing Buddies. Whoops. Um, yeah, and Writing Buddies will probably only be 15 minutes or so. Yeah, so that's why I just put it on 10, 10, 10, 15, yeah. yeah. Um, and I know we'll be somewhere, like, I'll be by a phone. So hopefully I'll make it by a podcast. Yeah. Um, that was... That was 180, wasn't 180, it? 180, was, yes. Oh, my gosh. Look at us. I think I now have more podcasts than I have publications. I definitely do. <laughs> That's that was, way easier. We hit that in about May 2013. <laughs> <laughs> um, although my my publications have, have gained just not on the same. I'm not putting out a publication every two weeks, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't doesn't take an hour and a half. It doesn't take an hour two, and a half. two hours, if only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, good stuff. So 29th, uh, 10, 15 a.m. And yeah, I don't, I mean, I write until one o'clock. Um, and even that, if we, I mean, if we did a super, super long one, um, it'd be, it'd be no problem. Um, cool. Uh, do you need anything for me? You're good. Like you got, do you have time to edit this before? What do you, when do you actually leave? I leave Friday or Thursday. Uh, yeah, I'll, 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 I, I'll probably do it today just because I want to get it off, off my desk. I got uh, the only other things I've got hanging over is just like little stuff and then Michelle's grant, but that's, that's, that's in pretty well in hand, I would say. So cool. Are you, so you're flying out on Thursday. Are you going through, I'm going to be at JFK on Thursday for two and a half hours. Oh, I stay away from JFK as much as I can. It's a real pain to get there. It's on the other side of New York. So uh, right. I'm, a, I'm a Newark United man <clears throat> yeah. all the way. I'm uh, I'm going to Buffalo. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, and uh, on on Delta because I have because I have points. Mm-hmm. I'm going to the uh, NCAA Frozen Four, um, the, yeah, the college uh, hockey championships. So um, yeah, so I'm gone Thursday, Friday this week, but I'm oh. excited. It's like yeah, it's like cool. It's like vacation with a bunch of guys who are lots of fun to hang out with, and I get to see. We're going to Toronto for a day, and I get to see some people that I went to college with and hang out with them. So yeah, oh, speaking good. speaking of people that you went to college with, so this is in this is an interesting thing. So. Um, <clears throat> Our, our, mutual, our mutual friend Gordon Hayburn yes. um, had tickets to Hamilton, um, which then he uh, could not use. And he had eight tickets, so it was a bunch of people, and for some reason the trip got canceled. So I put out the word on Facebook that I had some tickets, or I had somebody who could hook you up with tickets. And it turns out I am going to the, those uh, that show uh, in uh, September in New York City with a bunch of friends from college that I have not seen since college. So. Oh, a bunch of your friends from college? Yeah. I thought you were going to my <laughs> no, no, no. I, as far as I know, they're not your friends from college. These are older people, uh, my age, That's not your cool. age. But yeah, no. I, I'm as far as I'm, I'm not going with your college friends. Yeah, I was I was confused the way you phrased that because I looked and I'm like, oh, well, that's great. And you know what? So because we do we do have a common friend from college who um, who's now a professor at the University of Guelph and used to be a professor at uh, Rutgers, uh, Mike Rogers. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So who was actually I, I think I probably shared this, but I was his RA. Yes, he was. Yeah. Um, so, and I, like, I thought that this is what you were going to say. You're like, Oh, Mike Rogers is coming to go see Hamilton. He's one of your friends from college. Nope. Nope. Um, nope. Have you, speaking of which, have you seen the show friends from college on Netflix? No, I, I have not. Do you, um, I'll just tell you, Kristen won't like it. Okay. Um, Danny doesn't like it cause she thinks they're terrible people. Um, oh yeah. And, Kristen definitely won't like it. Right. Right. I, uh, yeah. Um, but I, I really enjoy it. It's, and it's got the, it's got the guy who's uh, not Jordan Peele from, from the the Jordan Peele show, do you know uh, you know Jordan Peele? He's uh, the guy from his movies. From he did the 
Us and uh, that's the new one. And then he also did Get Out. He's a he was on um, Peel and something. Key. Key. Key and Peel. Peel yeah. and Key. Yeah, Key and Peel. So he's uh, the other guy. Key is on it. Yeah, uh, Keegan uh, Keegan Michael Key. Keegan Michael Key. He's in uh, Friends from <laughs> Friends from College, and he's oh. great. Okay, it's cool. just Fred Savage. Yeah. Um. So yeah, Doogie Howser, really, right? Is it no? That Doogie Howser was the other uh, guy. Who's Fred Savage? Um. Wonder Fred Years. Wonder Years. Uh, Wonder Years. Yeah, he's the other other Doogie Howser. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I really like that uh, that show. I don't know. I I've only seen Key and Peele like little blurbs. I've never watched the show. Um. And I have not seen, as I said, Get Out or Us. But I hear they are both good. Those okay. are the. Yeah, they are the uh, like um, what is it a horror film. But it's more of like a psychological thriller. Oh, got, yes, yes. People got, have been talking about that. Yeah, yeah. And last time, last time around with uh, Get Out, he got a um, uh, Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. For so anyway, that's the that's the key. That's the Peel guy, not the key guy. Right. All right. Um, cool. Uh, oh yeah. So I will. So thanks. Just as a like live podcast thing. Um, so we're in. I'm I'm a go for September. Mm-hmm. Coming to see you, yep. and then in August it looks like we're going to Seattle. Um, I don't have any details on what date yet. Natalie's working on that. Okay. Um, and it, <laughs> they want us to do like a whole live podcast on like retail CFP specialized processed stuff and our experiences. Oh, perfect. Yeah, which is cool. Um, and so we can record that one and we'll get to go hang out in Seattle and maybe see John. I don't awesome. know. How do you I, like how are we gonna approach this? Are you really like are you gonna text John and be like, hey John, um do you, you want to hang out? Yeah, I'm gonna say um we're in Ben and I are in town and we would love to take you out for dinner, lunch or dinner. I would love I would like I would love this. This would be great. Did you have you met him before? No, no, never. So you've met just, just you've on met the podcast. Merlin and Dan. Yes, and and Max and, Max and Alex. Alex. Yes, yeah. very cool. Um, they did you have you listened to the um, the one they recorded yesterday, the uh, Roderick on the line? Yeah. So there's something in there that made me think about like they were going to talk about food safety stuff. What was it? Did you? I ah oh, damn it! I wish I I was driving. I wish I'd uh, um, made a note of this. No, anyway, it was it was it was it was it was weird, and then it got really serious and talked about yes. mental health in the middle, and then it went back weird again. It yeah. went back weird, but but it was early on when they were talking about um, something about like washing or sanita- sanitation. Ah, oh, shoot, I don't know what it was. Um, and I, I'm like literally trying to find show notes, but they don't do show notes. They don't do show notes. No. Of course not. I don't There's know. a wiki somewhere, but it's probably not updated with that information yet. Oh, who knows? Those people are crazy. <laughs> not like our fans. Not like our fans at all. Who are much Roderick smaller in number and less crazy. Yep. Super train is coming. Oh, yes. 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 John's moving. Yep. I'm pretty. Uh, oh, oh. So this wasn't the last episode, but um, the thing that was really compelling about two episodes ago when he was talking about this is related to his moving um, the his pool in his backyard that's full of wood. Full of wood. Yes. I told Danny that story, and I was like, "This is like this is totally uh, like kind of the craziest thing." Like he just kept fill it. Like every time he cut a tree down, he put it in the pool, and anytime he took something down, there's just it's just wood. And then his thought was, "Well, I'll just set it on fire. Let's just yeah, burn this." Yeah. 
Yeah. Because um, why wouldn't you? Uh, right. Right. Oh, so so good. Um, no, it doesn't look like the uh, Roderick on the line. Wikia um, only goes up to um, uh, episode ninety. I uh, can't be right. I must be on the wrong page. All right. Anyway, can't find it. Um, well, I can't find the page that has his, his house for sale, but um, maybe he, you tweet, he think he tweeted about it. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, well, anything else before, before you go to France, you have, uh, any wise words uh, while I, uh, take care of food safety while you're gone? Oh no, no, I think it should be fine. I will, I will provide updates on, uh, cruise safety. Uh, Thank you. Cruise food safety. Be our, our, our man in, our man in the Rhine, our man, <laughs> <laughs> our man on the road. That's like a, it's a Hunter S. Thompson, uh, reference. He was always like our man in Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, cool. All right. All right. Well, have, have a great time. Thanks. Joy. It, we, uh, you know, are, are you, you're not doing any food safety on this, right? Like you're just, going Oh no, no. We, I, I mean, at the end of the cruise, we're going to the, uh, IAFP Europe meeting and not. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. So the, so the, so the, the at least the, um, you know, the idea is that the, 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 my air travel is paid because I got to go to this conference and yeah. we're just putting a little vacation in there. So. That's cool. And I guess I'm normally, it's going to be about, I'm, I'm going to go taste some wine. So it's probably a tax deduction. I don't know. I have to talk to my accountant. Yeah, check, check. <laughs> And I don't have an accountant. So Check with your accountant. Yeah, check. Good. You get an accountant. I mean, step one, get an accountant. Check <laughs> step two. two, talk to the accountant. Yeah, ch- talk to the accountant about it. Uh, cool. We, uh, I'm, I'm, I, think I'm, uh, I think the kids are coming to uh, Louisville this summer. That's the plan. They're out oh, of school. Oh, nice. So no one's, no one's back in school and it's the same thing. It's like, well, there's a hotel and it's a really cool town. And I, I have very few things to do, um, this year, like that are formal so I can hang out and drop in and drop out. Um, you just, so you know, you're, I've talked to you about this, but I want to remind you that you're doing a, a round table for me. Mm, do you, did you give me the date? No, not yet, but I, I'll do that. It's, I'm, I'm a pretty busy guy, you know. You just can't I know. just like spring these on me. But this is a five second rule roundtable, so I'll spring that on you all I want. Because <laughs> it's only five seconds. It's only five seconds. <laughs> well, no, it, all I'm saying is I I might be busy doing other. I I, I hope the program committee has has uh, uh, sorted things accordingly. They're pretty good. They, your name yeah. is on. Yeah, yeah. I was apparently not the worst offender of multiple sessions, but it's good. Good. Well, hey, you you're uh, uh, you're you're a man who's who's desired. So you, people got to deal with that. Oh, spe- speaking of speaking of things that um, that you desire, um, I this year I am not I am not going to win friends microscope. Oh, uh, but that's... I've been told that there's a strong re encouragement to resubmit. So oh, that's that's good. I'm we got to get you that. We got to get you a microscope. Yeah, well, I, you know, we'll we'll we're in, there's always next year. We'll go for. I, I'm very interested to see who wins this year because it was. Did they, they didn't they didn't tell you who it was? Uh no, the person that nominated me who is Linda Harris. Oh, I got an update from Linda. She is continuing to download and she has not been listening lately. Uh, well, we'll keep we'll continue to talk about her. <laughs> And, and and she'll never hear about it. And she's like, so, you should have me on the podcast. And I'm like, let me explain to you how it works. If you ask to be on the podcast, I will tell you when the next date is that we are recording the podcast. And if you are not available for that date, then my obligation to you is done. Right. <laughs> and now it's on you to ask again. Because I, I am certainly not going to keep informing you every time we reschedule we schedule think, another podcast. I think the way we should handle this is that at the end of – right after our scheduling, every time – We'll just say, and Linda, if you're listening, you're invited. <laughs> yes. you're invited. Ah. And the invitation's done. Lin- and in fact, we don't even have to say if you're listening. Linda, 
that that we're, we'll be recording on um, a, a April 29th, right after Writing Buddies. Oh, uh, we could ask her right then. We could ask her on Writing right. Buddies. And just say uh, we'll we'll be at, at, in in five in five minutes. We'll be recording. Um, so would you like to join you, us? Yeah, would you like to join us? It's good stuff. All right, cool. All right, well, I'm uh, I'm gonna go uh, I'm gonna go do some other stuff. <laughs> I'm gonna go edit this podcast. Okay, bye bye.